0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how are you today, my man?
1: I'm doing really good, dude. Very excited because we're doing something that we've never done on the podcast for the second week in a row with our re-record and now our book club episode.
0: That's right. We're, so, we're, uh, we're yeah. breaking new ground everywhere.
1: Yeah, dude, I almost feel like that I should start off this session. Like most book clubs start off where I present a bunch of soap or sheets that you all could buy. And I tell you that you could go out and buy more and get cheaper and just basically build a giant pyramid scheme. Like we know was, people, that it happens in <laughs> book clubs every day.
0: I was going to say we might as well build uh, a multi-level marketing system here. While, while we're at it, while we're doing book club stuff. Um, I think so. Yeah, but uh, that, another first uh, for us would be a scheme um, to try to swindle people. <clears throat> But um, as Chema mentioned, this is we are we're now officially into the first episode of of June, the Occasionalist Book Club month, and we are covering um, the night. Excuse me, I almost said the nineteen twenty nine, the twenty nineteen sci fi quote unquote um, novella. um, This is how you lose the time war by Amal El motar and Max Gladstone, Um, and you know we'll, we'll I'll get into some more details here. But obviously, this is a first for us. And definitely before we dive into the lightning round question, I will just say this was a, I'm really pleased that we're doing this particular episode and we had this kind of challenge, uh, put out and put out, put out in front of us.
1: I completely agree with you, dude. Um, challenge. Yes. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges that we faced during the course of this, uh, this read and everything, but I will say, um, it it turned out to be a lot better than I had anticipated. And this is a really great story. Uh, this is story is something that is right up our alleys. We kind of talk about this stuff, sci-fi and romance. we were romance-centric podcasts. Talk a lot about love. Yes, so. we usually do. <laughs> yeah. We always do. So, so like these things, um, and the t- time travel particularly too. Like it's all kind of like right up our alleys. And I I was just very surprised, dude. I'm going to keep it at that for now, just because I'm trying to avoid any long tangents that I could go on, but um, just know that I was very happy and I'm looking
0: forward to this. For sure. So let's dive into the lightning round question, because at the, you know, this, uh, this question relates to the book, because at the heart of this book, this is, you know, a game of chess, basically Mm -hmm. um, you could say. So if you had to match wits with a fictional character can be from books, movies, TV, doesn't matter. You want to? You wanted to match wits with a fictional character in a game, an intense game of chess. Who would it be, dude?
1: It's strictly and solely going to be Magneto because I loved those little chess playing scenes with McAvoy and Fassbender and X Men: First Class. And I know that there was the chess thing going on with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, but there was something about the. McAvoy Fassbender relationship on screen with those two and the chess game being such a vital part of it, mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I mean, I would, I obviously wouldn't play against McAvoy because he's Professor X and he could totally like read my thoughts and know all my moves and stuff. Mm-hmm. But to sit there with Magneto and stuff and have a uh, a nice like really old kind of drink and sit there at night and. You know, listen to his deranged plans about taking over the universe. I think that would be a very good time, and I probably stand a way better chance against him, which is not much of a chance at all.
0: <laughs> I don't even know how to play chess, so it's like it really doesn't matter. It could be a baby that knows chess, and it, the baby would probably beat me. But yeah. <laughs> I, I like the choice, and uh, I I agree with you. First off, I do love how they um, you know how they went full circle um, in first class with the with the chess stuff with um, Magneto and uh, Professor X. Um, I love that. And I, I, I think you're making the right choice there. Professor X is just, I mean, he's a, a, he's a a brain in a wheelchair. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're making the right choice there. I like it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I I am going to play, I'm going to match wits with maybe the most insidious and unassuming criminal of all time. Um, simply because I think there would be a lot of good banter, some good quips and one-liners, some good stories, and I think the threats um, before each move will be out of this world. And, of mm-hmm. course, I am playing chess with Walter White. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, the, the, even when he is backed into an unwinnable situation, Walter White managed to figure out a way, maybe not necessarily to get out of it, but to you know, sort of, um, in many cases, you know, to, use a, to use a chess term, upon sacrifice. Mm-hmm. to 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 make sure that uh, that his king was st- that his drug kingpin was still alive at the end. Um, so, um, Walter White, I think, would be would be a very fun uh, a very fun time to match wits with in a game of chess.
1: Yeah, I will tell you that is going to be a very ruthless chess match because that guy had no problem sending his friend's girlfriend wife's brother he had no problem with uh sending them to their grave so he can get out of the situation i will personally assure you that that is going to be
0: very intense he poisoned a child yeah that too <laughs> to yes that
1: too. yeah yeah <laughs> season four or something right like yep. it was
0: kind of in the middle yeah yeah like... poisons um jesse's girlfriend's uh son that's right yep Just you know, just throwing that out there. Um, in case, in case you weren't like, this is. I will not go into a long Breaking Bad tangent. I swear to God. But, like, in case you were confused, you were not supposed to be cheering for Walter White. (laughs)
1: No, (laughs) no, not not at all. But he does a really good... But you just love to not cheer for him because he does such a good job. exactly,
0: exactly. All right, so we can get into it now. Um, We're going to talk about... Again, we were talking about This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El-Motar and Max Gladstone. And we are going to break this up into two separate episodes Um, for a couple of reasons. Mostly because I think if we try to do a full... We're gonna break up two episodes. One's gonna be more story and structure based. You know, we're gonna talk about the narrative, um, some of the you know some of the plot device stuff like that. We're we're gonna be talking big big picture broader broader strokes kind of stuff um, in this first episode, um, and then in our second episode we'll dive into more of the character stuff. Like we'll really we'll really get into it because there is a lot of character stuff to talk about here. Um, mm-hmm. And I just felt like I felt like the way. I felt like one. This would if we if we ended up doing both at the same time, it'd be a fucking four hour episode. Um, oh yeah, it, it just would be very very long. Um, and I don't I don't I kind of feel like it it breaks up better simply because of the way this this book is structured. This is an epistolary novel, which if you're unfamiliar with that term out there, we'll get to that in, in a little bit here. It's an epistolary novel, so it, there is sort of like a within the book, and maybe you know, and we'll, again, this is something we'll get into as well. There's sort of a world within the book. That stands mm-hmm. separate from everything else. So, on the one hand, you are getting some story beats and and you know the bigger strokes of what's going on, and then it dives into the the um, first person accounts and narratives and communicates back and forth. So, I felt like it was important that we we separate this because I think there's enough to talk about in Philip two episodes.
1: I yeah the the world part of this alone is so vast and so rich and so ripe for discussion, even though we really don't get that much about right. the world in the book. So I feel that breaking it up into two episodes is basically going to, um, cause it's going to work like this, dude, we're going to do one episode where, you know, we did both together the first episode where I right now, because I'm, Relatively fresh off of the read. I, I got done reading it yesterday and stuff. Um, so, and I, it took me actually only like four days. And even with making notes, I, I got to say, I'm pretty proud of myself. So, um, right now, I feel like I have more to say about the world and the story itself. And this conversation would be, I have this feeling like it would just be like really great. And we have a really, really positive momentum then to go right into the characters after that discussion i almost feel it would just be like two different discussions like we literally take the bathroom break come back from it and i'm not saying it wouldn't be like as high energy but i just think that discussion fatigue might have set in because i feel like right now like i said i have more to say about the world than the characters themselves
0: i agree Uh, like part of it was you know again also we want to fill up like more than one episode this month. That's like right. part of it too. <laughs> um, but like, I, I what I really want to do is now um, after after <clears throat> excuse me after going through this outline and selecting some particular things, I now want to go back and like reread some very particular parts to, mm-hmm. to, to to recapture some things that I'm sure you know. Like I, I remember you know, obviously it's not a, it's not a super long book, but obviously you know most people have like a recent a recency bias in their memory. I remember the right. ending better than I remember the beginning. So (laughs) there's stuff that I want to go back and just like reread to make sure I am remembering exactly how I'm thinking of it. And, uh, and because this book is, like you said, there's a lot to talk about with the world and we'll get into, we'll get into the, why we're kind of, why we're kind of hedging on that. Um, There's a lot to talk about, but there kind of isn't, Um, but there's definitely a lot of rich stuff to talk about with the characters. And I want to make sure that I get, that I go through uh, um, certain things again to make sure I'm getting that part down because that discussion will be very, very um, rich with detail. Of course, definitely. So we're going to start here with the... uh, Oh, I should probably just start with the synopsis of the book. Um, You know, this is a little different than when we cover movies and things like that. So I'll give you... uh, I'll give everyone out there a pretty good synopsis here, a couple paragraphs. Um, Let's see here. I've got to find the correct page. There we go. All right. Among the ashes of a dying world, an agent of the Commandant finds a letter. It reads, burn before reading. Thus begins an unlikely correspondence between two rival agents hell-bent on securing the best possible future for their warring factions. Now, what began as a taunt, a battlefield boast, grows into something more—something epic, something romantic, something that could change the past and the future. Except the discovery of their bond would mean death for each of them. There's still a war going on, after all, and someone has to win that war. That's how wars—that's how war works, right? <laughs> And that's the that's the general synopsis. And I think I even think the synopsis is well, it's intriguing. If you if you know if you were if we were just kind of recommending this and throwing this out to new people, it's intriguing, and it still doesn't quite get at all the all the shit that's happening in this book. I know
1: that's um that is definitely like a teaser trailer, if anything, because there is so much to get to without anything to get to. It's it's really amazing how this book um, leaves a lot of to you and we're going to get into that for sure. So I'm going to cut myself off right there. Yeah.
0: So I have a couple of, I have a couple questions here. We're, we're going to start in this first, first section. We're calling uh, upthread thoughts. Um, and I will, I will explain what that upthread what that exactly means here in a, in a little bit. But <clears throat> um, so these first questions are just for you. I'm just curious and I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in on them as well. But um, when I first mentioned the book we're would be reading the, the title and, and kind of, I don't, I don't know if I gave you a full synopsis. I think we just gave you the title. Um, what were your initial thoughts?
1: Okay, just based off the title, I figured we would have something to do with time travel. And honestly, that's it. I, I gotta say I even thought that maybe the war was a little bit of like a metaphor just from reading the the message that you sent and stuff like that. Like i mm-hmm. i don't I don't think I did any um, like research of any kind, any kind of looking up stuff on the internet. Until we got done recording the podcast um, the last time. So like Friday last week would have been the first time I opened, opened up this world. So honestly, like my I I didn't really have much um, in, in terms of like what I thought this whole thing was going to be, which ended up being really, really great because once I got into this book, I, I, realized that, um, yeah, I was right about the time travel and, um, yeah, there's actually a war. So yeah, there was, like, <laughs> so, so, there's, so there was a lot more for me to discover, which, um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it, it's kind of, that's kind of like how I want it to be. Like there are certain yeah. times when like, I, I don't I, I'm thinking of like a bad example I can't really think of any examples off the top of my head but like or even with like a movie how you just like you go into a movie sometimes and like you know what's going to happen like you know that spider Man's going to live at the end you know that like certain plot twists and little turns are going to happen um, this is almost just like going into something without having seen any type of trailers anything like that whatsoever mm-hmm. which uh I'm not gonna lie like if i didn't love movie trailers so much i would do more with movies but i happen to love trailers
0: yeah it's i i know we've mentioned it before uh, on ver- various times in the podcast that i strongly like i'll, I'll watch some trailers or whatever but like i almost like will avert my eyes if i see something resembling a review or a comment on a particular scene from a movie that I want to see. Mm-hmm. Like I'm literally yeah. like, Oh, don't, don't, don't just pretend you didn't see it. Don't look at it. Don't look at <laughs> it. Move on. Yep. And, oh, yeah, um, dude. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just, I was going to totally agree with you. I yeah. I've been doing the same thing. I agree. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, and, and, it, and like trailers are very, I mean, I guess trailers are, are, in some cases they're hard to avoid. I mean, you're sitting there watching TV or something trailer pop on. It's kind of hard to avoid. So like, I'm fine with that, but I try not to find out too many details. So if there's like a meme going around after like the first weekend of uh, of the latest Marvel movie, believe me, I don't get it. <laughs> like I I haven't yeah. read anything. I don't get it. Um, yeah. Like the like the like the America's ass thing from uh, End Game. Like yeah, that's for, right. For for a couple of weeks there, because I well we were like two weeks. Well, I was like two weeks behind seeing it, like after opening night, and um, like all of that was like they are just pictures of Chris Evans' ass online, and, and like I. I was like, okay, so at some point there's a comment about his ass,
1: right? But I really right. didn't That's get. Right. It. Yeah, dude, I got to tell you, the meme thing like um, really gave away a spoiler on Stranger Things, and I was like, because I'm surprised how good this season of Stranger Things is, how much I'm enjoying it, and uh, this memes totally ruined something for me, so I it is so hard to apply that filter sometimes like as great as we could do a job of it. There are just sometimes yeah. where little things break through. And this was one that I was like, you gotta be fu- how the f- stupid fucking memes,
0: <laughs> Right. Right. So I'll, um, I'll tell you and I, and I, I was, uh, we were talking off air about this. I heard about this particular book on, um, on an NPR show um, of which uh, uh, one of the authors, Amal, uh, Amal, El-Motar was actually on. And the, the description that uh, another panelist gave her book was was very very interesting. One like they you know they mentioned it was uh, and I'll mention here since I've already we already talked about it quite briefly um, that it was an epistolary novel and like I it was one of those terms I'm like I know that word I just don't know like what I, like it's escaping me right now but I think it's it has something to do with like it's not like a it's not like your it's not like a clean narrative the way most books are written um, you know from mm-hmm. one point of view or whatever and you know and I, I was like okay oh it's letters back and forth um, and I, you know I've read books with with various. Sort of different um, communiques, be they letters, you know, um, notes to one another, newspaper articles that are like actually folded into the, you know, that are actually parts of the book to tell to tell pieces of the story. But I've never um, upon like when I first started reading it, I realized that like this was, you know, outside of the outside of a little bit of the set dressing for the world, the world, the world and literally worlds that we're in. Um, I never, I I don't recall ever having a, having read a book that is 90% letters.
1: Yeah. I, the only thing that I could come up with would probably be, I think it's like the color purple is written in the letter format. Mm. Like it's either color purple or song of Solomon. One of those two books I, I read during college is, is written somewhat in letters, but Never to the point where a lot of the book is letters. Like the letters are actually longer than the chapters themselves.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Um, I know World War Z. I think has a lot of letters, but also like you. You. you I'm pretty sure you'll read sections that are like newspaper clippings that mm-hmm. are transcripts from you know from another from something else. Um, right. And it's not like that's not like the entire book, but that I mean it's a big part of it. Um, so like, yeah, so I mean, I I know that they're out there. I just haven't read one that was like, so heavy with letters. So that was that was just like an interesting sort of, it was a very interesting way to sort of, um, you know, we'll get again, we'll get more into this. But for me, it was a really interesting way to sort of like very immediately sort of pull me in.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I just looked it up. It was The Color Purple by Alice Walker. Okay. That's the okay. epistolary novel. Yes. Gotcha. And I read, I read Song of Solomon, too. So I read them There more. you go.
0: All right. So and this is, this is more, um, you know, well, I'm sure we'll dive more into this question here. Um, well, I know we will uh, dive more into this question here. But I'm curious, did you buy a physical copy of the book or like an e-book or an audio book?
1: Oh, dude, I have a physical copy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say... Um, Number one, I, I just shelf space and everything like that. Like eventually when Jess and I, uh, you know, sell our bodies on the streets to buy our house, like I do want shelf space and everything like that for books and records and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of, the idea of even displaying books and stuff, they look cool. They, you know, somebody sees it and makes you at least it's like, wow, this guy kind of looks smart. You know, people gives off that intelligent aesthetic, which I have to work hard to do because I'm not all that smart. So um, <laughs> just buy a pair of glasses, non-prescription. Yeah, they're coming. There you go. Me. I'm going to get prescriptions ones. I have a feeling it'll be sooner than later with the <laughs> aging thing. But, um, so I bought it in a hard, um, and the paperback form, um, it was actually pretty affordable too. Like, I mean, for the for paperback books, it's like I, I bought the Running Man as a research thing, and that was like you know very affordable because it's the Running Man. But this one, I gotta say, like the Amazon didn't gouge me on it. So thank mm-hmm. you, Bezos.
0: I it's the it's the only thing not exploding uh, with inflation right now are books.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I um I liked it, and um I even got to say that uh, when I first saw it. I thought it was YA for some reason. I thought it was like a young adult book. Maybe it was just like the colors. Maybe it was the cover, but that's kind of my my mm-hmm. first initial like uh, thoughts on when I saw the cover.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I went with the, obviously I went for the physical copy as well. And I, I do think that this sort of, because of the nature of this book, um, two, we have two, you know, Amal El-Motar and Max Gladstone are writing the two main characters who are... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, blue and red. That's, uh, that's all we know about them. Although there are, there are points in time where they, they mention they know each other's real names, whatever that actually even means. Um, but um, the authors are writing, um, you know, writing their characters letters. And I have a feeling that it would I have a feeling that that, you know, the reading the physical copy really sort of helps you mentally build a, a more distinct picture of what each character is like. Mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to listening to an audio book um, that, that, you know, you, you will immediately have, <clears throat> excuse me, you will immediately have whoever is narrating the book um, that will immediately sort of shade your, um, your view of like what these, you know, who these people are, who Blue and Red are.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, dude. And the way they put the production value in some of these readings, you know, and the way that the people do the voices and stuff, it is like somebody's doing half the work for you. Mm-hmm. And and this one, like, you know, I mean, this was like giving your mind like a blank canvas of imagination and stuff. And I would be interested to know, like, let's just say, like, you know, we all order a, a pad of paper and some pens. And like if we were to both draw something from the book, whether it's just like draw the characters, like I would wonder what the difference is mm-hmm. what you and I would draw or even if they would be if they would be the
0: same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think, yeah, I, j- I just think it's I don't want to say it's enhanced necessarily, but I definitely think this gives you the, the physical copy and sort of picturing the voices and doing it all, doing it all on your own sort of definitely gives you a different sort of feel. Um, then, then, you know, listening to an audiobook probably would. So, uh, I, you know, just curious, I, I'm, I'm assuming you, you definitely strike me more as an actual book person versus an audio book person. So that's what I was curious yeah. about. Yeah.
1: Like I would rather, I would rather have the book and stuff like my, this is what I, what I do. I like book, read the book, and then I will take a long time, probably like a, a week, even more looking at various videos like internet stuff, interviews mm-hmm. and all of that, trying to comprehend different perspectives and stuff see if there's anything that I missed. And like I, I did, I did that with, with this book, you know, obviously condensed time for the episode and everything like that, right. but I, I, I finished it. And then any type of audio stuff was just listening to people talk about it, listening to the authors uh, get interviewed and stuff. So th- that is definitely my kind of format. Like if gotcha. you can't put it on, if I can't put a, If you can't give me, like, a YouTube video that's, like, maybe somebody acting it or even just the movie itself, I prefer to do book and then research.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So how would you summarize this book in five words or less? Okay. It's
1: pretty, pretty basic, but it's love, war, and time travel.
0: Okay. Okay. I like it. Um, Give me... um, you know, I, I guess, do you have any 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 sort of, like, uh, without getting into too many details here, any, any sort of justification for that?
1: Okay, like, it covers the, um, it covers three topics that are discussed in the book and explored. Um, I feel that the description is almost, like, it's almost kind of like five words that summarize everything and even kind of give you the style. It's like just five basic words that are open for so much territory to explore and we do explore a lot of territory the same way that the book, you know, is written the way that it is where we get a lot, but without getting a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. I like it. I dig it. Um, I, I went with, it it starts off exactly the same way as yours, basically. Um, love longing and temporal hijinks nice um temporal hijinks good temporal hijinks so um temporal meaning of time you know shifting time um so we're following these two characters as they reach out to one another and obviously they they fall in love over the course of this book um and oftentimes to make sure that they're getting each other's attention the way that they deliver their letters which we'll get into for sure the way that they they deliver their letters to each other is kind of they're like pranks Mm-hmm. you know, they're puns wrapped inside of literally sometimes wrapped inside of puns. So <laughs> there's like a, there's an element of sort of like, uh, there's an element of like sort of um, grade school kind of humor about the way that they communicate with each other too.
1: Oh, there really is the where the places that some of these letters find themselves in, they definitely very grade school. And it's also also unique too. And I will mm-hmm. say there are some really creative stuff here when it came to the presentation and the delivery of these letters And we're talking from the absolute finding of the first letter all the way to when we get to the end.
0: Yeah yeah exactly And we can you know we can get into that a little bit right now um, without getting like too deep but it, it I'm this is one of those things I'm glad that um, and <clears throat> we'll have a question here about this, but I'm glad that like this is sort of left up to your imagination as to how they communicate. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, calling these letters is um, is not doing it justice. There's uh, what's the term they use? Uh, steganography, I believe.
1: There's a term called geometric steganography yes. that is like it's. Um, I think stenography itself is like the art of letters, but I think this geometric stenography has to do with like the Stegan- words,
0: steganography.
1: words in between. Steganography, yes. Yes. Stenography is different. Steganography. Um, it has to do with like like hidden stuff words within words and everything like that almost like codes it made it. It's almost made it kind of seem like it was codes
0: right. exactly. Um, general steganography is like coding. but also, in this case, um it's sort of a step farther. It's the 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 letters, the delivery system is inside of anything, anything that they mm-hmm. that they want it to be in essentially. um and it's it, how the how is not really like one it, well, it's not even close to being explained mostly um except for in like a few in a few um we get some gl- we get some glimpses as to how it's done but not really um right. we just know that the um the the uh the side that red works for they have scientists that are able to print a letter inside of poisonous seeds um and that it can only be read if you eat those seeds so, right. you know, that that's what we're talking about in terms of, like, the, the, the way these letters go back and forth. I mean, they're not... A couple of cases, they're actual penned letters, handwriting. Um, right. But for the most part, it's stuff like that. Like, these things are hidden inside of inside of objects because they have to be. Um, they have to essentially be hidden in plain sight, and they have to be hidden from their superiors.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, this is almost some kind of, like, war-type stuff and messaging and, that you would use, like, during wartime and yeah. how... Um, whether it is codes like even like a special language or something or it goes all the way to the creativity of how a letter was um, a message letter was inserted in the rings of a tree mm-hmm. at X amount of time. And it had to grow to be this message and stuff. So right. they, th- that's like some of the really like creative parts. And you're right there. Sometimes when you're actually looking at a letter, like a seal, you open it up and stuff like that. There is that there too. So, I mean, I'm not going to say that, yes, there are letters, right. but a lot of it, um, goes beyond that in terms of the way that these messages are delivered
0: right right exactly so what were the two most surprising things about this story to you
1: okay so the one thing is definitely how the prose um and Mm -hmm. the epistolatory format carried the book so i i will say like you you were right before like how there was a lot of the letters i'd never really had a book with that many letters and stuff other than the color purple but um i was definitely surprised by the letters i also was surprised that the letters themselves were longer than the chapters for the most part you really just got a couple of pages of like situation minor adventure some character development but it wasn't like long drawn out chapters like I like how I've been used to with like mm-hmm. Game of Thrones or any other kind of fictional books that I've read. And I, I, I'm telling you, Game of Thrones might be the last series that I really dumped my heart into as far as fictional books go. So the quick pacing of it was something that really surprised me. And I thought it was cool, number one, because just quick pacing is awesome. Who doesn't love a story that moved? But the way that it's laid out, I feel like it almost like artificially gave me a, like a boost in some way. Like I feel like that this format made it so I could get through the book faster. Mm-hmm. Cause if this was, even for, even for something that is like 250, 300 pages, I don't even think I'd be able to burn through it in a couple of days. Like I did with this book. I, and I mean, we're talking just like whether it's um, a one page letter that is uh, that half of the page is filled up on like page, four and then on page five you're into another chapter you like the way that they do it and the the way that they're the blank spaces on all the different pages it seemed like it made it go by faster for me
0: yeah for sure for sure um i I agree with you there it's it is interesting i i almost liken the um i almost liken the the chapters if you will the 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 traditional chapters i almost liken them more to um the way a a, a scriptwriter would write a um a play that mm-hmm. y- you get this like you know um in, in most plays you get like literally the bare bones sort of description of a setting um yeah. before you get to you know before we get to you know the all the dialogue in a play you'll get well, you know, you 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 write screenplays and stuff, uh, but it's a, it's even. It, I mean, I guess it depends on the screenplay, but it's definitely like a part of every play. There is a set, there is a description of where the characters are, um, right. so set designers can like build a, a set so they can yeah. so they know what the hell you know it's a street corner late at night, so they can make it look like a street corner late at night. And, right. Right they're obviously i mean obviously the chapters are the traditional chapters in this book are longer than that but they have a very similar sort of feel where it's it's red walking through a battlefield um you know with corpses lying everywhere blood's all over the place the cities you know the cities around her are, are burning there's bombs going off everywhere and then dialogue it's like it's, right. it's almost what it feels like
1: yeah definitely like It almost feels like you're right, dude, like those action lines and stuff like that and like a script or a play and everything, like all the description stuff like you're getting that. And it's like here, like the character is here. This is what they're doing then this is what they're saying. So there's like this divide between the dialogue and and the action and stuff. And I I don't even think you, maybe the commandant at the end, like we actually get real vocalized words in the the chapter parts, like the the non-letter parts, but that doesn't come till much later. Mm -hmm. So the, um, the, the, that's a really good comparison. I, I would maybe take it one step further in like this, in almost like when you see in plays how there's like a chorus element and mm. there's like a chorus element that interrupts um, the various scenes. And it might be, if it's, you know, like if it's something that's old timey England, it might be the the people in the town or like, you know, the, the villagers walking down the street, yeah. kind of having a conversation about the main character or um, doing some kind of like some kind of like glue type dialogue that, summarizes little things for the audience along the way. So I, I kind of likened it to, to that a little bit.
0: Yeah, this, this definitely, and it, it, this doesn't surprise me at all that, that we're, we're kind of coming up on two very similar ideas um, simply because this, this feels almost in, a, in, in its own way, this feels like a love letter to old writing. Um, you oh, know, Yeah, it, it just like you, this feels like a love letter to old writing. Um, you know, when you think about some classic stuff, it just feels like a throwback to that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, you're right; like it, it just has it has the trappings of stuff that we don't you don't really see anymore in books that were that were that was more um, more prevalent when you go back to when you go back to the times of the bard. Um, right, you're getting more That's... stuff like that, oh, and, it, thank, and it's not surprising because right, yeah. And it's not surprising because you have, you know, you have uh, Max Gladstone writes mostly in fantasy and um, Amal El-Motar is a poet. So I'm mm-hmm. like really not surprised. And this is actually a point I'm going to get to here for this question. I'm really not surprised that there's sort of this, um, this sort of emphasis of the prose, the poetic nature of it, and sort of the throwback nature of it over, over the sci-fi elements. I mean, we're, again, we're talking about a book that is about, a, about time traveling assassins, essentially, um, that can that can tip, that can literally have probably in their lifetimes killed billions of people, um, mm-hmm. and, you know through various means. Whether it's you know we see like red in direct combat, um, blue seems to prefer more like subtle means to um, to tip certain things in, in her side's favor. Um, but you know despite all these like huge sci-fi ideas that you could you could imagine other books would really go for, they're more concerned with like the the taste of tea. And the color of paintings and the way like the sun looks.
1: Right. That's exactly right. A lot of sci-fi books that I, that I've read are, are not written like this. No, you, you make a really good point about the more, the more poetic dialogue, maybe even more old timey dialogue. And when you read a lot of these letters, like, honest to God, it feels like when you are watching like a movie and there's a guy at war in the Revolutionary War or Civil War, and he's writing letters to some girl that he will eventually mm-hmm. marry. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. There's a lot of like really, um, like, really like elevated terminology and when I say elevated terminology, I'm not talking about like super intelligent. I'm talking about like just stuff that's going to like make you feel really good words placed together in very interesting like positions. And I mean, just I know the first one that comes off to my head is like my dearest, my most insidious blue, like one mm-hmm. of the first letters she ever sends to him. There's a lot of like titling that is like that in the salutations and stuff. They become more joyful, more like exuberant and stuff. It feels like it's somebody – that is um not necessarily showing off that they know all these words but like that they are doing an extra special job to make this poetic language very consistent throughout the book and it's really different than most science fiction stuff because when you read a lot of science fiction stuff Everything seems to be more like maybe cut and dry, and you learn terminology. You learn how the way things work, how the lasers and what the the planes and the jets mm-hmm. are supposed to do anti-gravity machines. You like you get all these kind of terms that we're familiar with. And it's not like we're not familiar with some of these you know, super poetic terms, but I just don't really see them. Used as consistently as they are in this particular book.
0: Yeah, um, I read a, <clears throat> I, I read a review um, today doing when I was doing some additional research. That brought up a good point about how how most sci-fi stories are formatted, and that the the prose is is sort of a vehicle to get you from idea to idea, to get you from scene to scene, to sort of um, you know to inform you and obviously i mean that's all pros obviously you want to be informed but like it's it a lot, a lot of sci-fi stories have a more um um analytical approach to the way they're written and mm-hmm. and this does not there's a lot of shit in here that just doesn't it, it, i shouldn't say it doesn't make sense but like it, it doesn't really it, it just doesn't fit your general sci-fi narratives and it doesn't sort of fit it doesn't fit into the way, you know, you know, like, oh, like, so, like, how do we even time travel? Like, right. there is no instruction for how this works. And it kind of doesn't really matter because I'm more interested in, in the way that Blue is going to tease Red next, in the, in the next letter. Like, what's the taunt coming in the next letter? That's more interesting than how in the world do they travel through time? Right. And,
1: like, in all reality, dude, how many, like – I will say that I'm not going to lie. I'm always going to be interested in that kind of stuff. Like how it's done is like, Oh, please don't tell me how it's done. You're never going to hear me say that. But I almost feel that like what uh, they're doing here, like Mothar and Gladstone or El Mothar and Gladstone are doing here is, um, Hey, it's time travel. You guys, do you really like want to like an explanation for it? You know, I almost feel like they're just, they're not like insulting the audience, I think. And like, they're just yeah. kind of like saying that you are going to, you already are, if you're picking up this book, you are smart enough to at least have in your mind some kind of thing that you could fall back onto as to how this might work, you know? And yeah. it, hell, it, it might be different than what it might be the exact opposite of what they think or how they think this whole thing works, but they're, giving you the respect enough to not have to like lay everything out for you and it's cool and it works because the story is written so well if the story was lesser written i would maybe feel more insulted that they didn't explain it
0: to me yeah exactly and and this book has a lot of that where there's a lot of references and um they drop in mentions of things that it's just like it's like oh okay I get that. Um, you know, sometimes there's a couple of pop culture references that are mm-hmm. dropped in that, that like, you know, they, they just drop them in and just go, people probably know about this. Um, you know, or they, they have some idea about this. Um, or there's some references like there, there's some names that get dropped in that like, I didn't really recognize necessarily, but like, I, I clearly knew it was, it was, you know, like um, I'll, I'll get to it specifically um, in a little bit here, but there's some references they drop in. And I'm like, okay, so that's going to be important, but just, You know, no, you know, now that they've dropped it in, I know that this is going to be an important thing that, you know, in some, with some way, shape or form, it's going to be important to between the two of them. So there's a lot of that in here.
1: Yeah. Oh, exactly. Dude. There's a lot of dropping. Like the references, I got some things to say about in a little bit, but um, they do make a lot of like really cool and unique references that kind of ground everything. And that's the, that's another cool thing about this too, is that they, like when you start off in the beginning, this is like the first like couple pages are like a science fiction, like wet dream and stuff like Mm. that. You're looking at war. I mean, there's a battlefield, The, uh, the red, the protagonist is like fucking crushing a spine and everything like this. And it's just really cool scene. And like, um, as, as the story kind of, so like right there you have all this stuff. I totally forgot I was going to go with this, but like just, I was agreeing with you and like, I believe that <laughs> this is a, the first part is like a, like a like straight up science fiction. And then as it goes on, it becomes so much more than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, here, here's something else that surprised me that we can get to real quickly that the, the focus is so tight that even when we do make some of these references and things, and we kind of and we we're, we're, we're in the, like some of these like historically critical moments times in time, time and space the focus is so tight that it's, it's almost just a brief mention of why these are important and and really the the only sort of like mention that we get to these importance is that like well i was told that these were important um right that's really kind of it <laughs> like it's it, it it leaves like as you said like um as you just mentioned before i think that some of these leaving some of these like open threads um in a lesser story would really be distracting but like mm-hmm. because the focus is so tight and so well done i don't care i, I just yeah. don't care
1: yeah this um for as vast as this is this is a multiverse book here like the book takes place with a multiverse mm-hmm. it is very very focused like very I I'm assuming Doctor Strange is nowhere near as focused as um as this book probably is probably not because because like we we literally get like everything that the author feels that we need to know. And I will say this book could easily have been two or three hundred pages or sorry, three hundred pages plus and I would have been fine with it. You know what I mean mm-hmm. would have needed more time to read it obviously. Right. But um the I would have been fine with it because I there's just stuff that I want to know more of, you know, I mean, and believe me, my questions could be answered just by asking the authors and stuff if I ever got that opportunity. But speaking from like just somebody who just read the book, I'm like, there's a whole lot of shit that like, I want to know about. And that is the sign of a good book because like, you want to know more, you want to like, have a more of an investment in the story. And if this was a lesser written book, I would have, just been like, okay, yeah, I think I got everything. I'm good. You yeah, know, I don't have any questions.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's, um, I, I know we've mentioned this before, and I can't remember, it was about a movie. I just can't remember what movie we were talking about, but we both agree that um, the movie did a really good job of answering enough questions and leaving questions with us. That to me that for certain types of movie obviously i don't give a shit about like an action movie leaving questions open i mean just fucking shoot everyone and move on with it but <laughs> um but like what i can't remember whatever it was we were watching some kind of you know thriller or something like that that's like a good that's a sign of a good thriller like there were unanswered questions that like i i was just you know i got i got what i needed and it left me with a few that i, I kind of would like to explore my own and this mm-hmm. book gave me a lot of that there's I got what I needed. Um, you know, I understand that they're time travelers. I understand... I Actually, to the point where I understand the direction of time travel is described enough that, like, I can, I can visualize how they... Almost, in my own way, visualize how and where they're moving. Um, but, you know, like, it doesn't get into, like, oh, yeah, but then they got to use this device to do this, and it takes this, and, like... I don't care because I got enough answered.
1: Right, right. And, like... I feel that with the description that they give of just like the world opening up or something, almost like describing it like a rift Mm -hmm. and coupled that with not full on details, but just the fact that we know that there are several strands of time throughout all the different science fiction material and books and movies that you and I have watched and read over the years, TV shows, like I could visualize all that stuff, you know, like I'm, I'm honestly imagining Bill and Ted, excellent adventure, the the time shoots and everything, it looks like a giant water slides or something like that, or vines or whatever, like, you know, ropey type looking like things. And they could split the earth and then kind of ride on them, go into them, and they end up somewhere. Like, that's kind of like how I feel visually, like it might look. And I don't really they don't need to have a special wristwatch. They don't need to have a phone booth that they dial and everything. They don't need all that stuff. And they, you know, that's one of the cool things about these authors showing respect to the audience is they're basically like saying like, Hey, if you're reading this, this ain't your first rodeo. So we'll give you the basics and you could fill in the rest.
0: Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I actually, I pictured it as a giant thick piece of rope.
1: That on okay. the one
0: end is really tightly wound, um, and I'll we'll get to the definitions here. Um, some of the definitions. On the one end, it's very tightly wound. On the other end, it's loose. Okay. Um like it's 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 you. frayed at the other end. So they they actually again they, we get we, get we do get we do get enough of a definition to sort of be able to visualize something like that, um, <clears throat> and we get some definitions. So like I I titled this part of the part of the um, uh, part of the outline up th- up thread thoughts. Uh, so they use two terms uh, multiple times, upthread and downthread, um, mm-hmm. to describe their direction of time travel. Upthread would be farther back in time, to where it's more stable, um, where things have already been determined, basically. Like, the farther back in time you go, the more solid. And in, I guess in just from our time travel episode and just sort of general um, awareness of the way time travel works in pop culture, that kind of makes sense. That stuff in the past would be more sturdy simply because it's, it happened so long ago. Um, oh, yeah. and then it, as you go down thread, you know, you also think of this like a river too, but as you go, you know, up river versus down river. And as you go down thread to places where the future hasn't exactly been completely determined yet or the the future is in doubt, things are messier so the threads are um, aren't as neatly uh, bound together in the rope as they would be otherwise.
1: Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. That makes sense to me. You go back farther in the past, like there's there's less technology. things are a little bit more primitive and stuff like you, it just seems that things would be more defined. And as you got more into the present where technology or whatever, like you know just things are more modern and more chaotic, i I guess, that those futures would not be as determined as the ones that are like way farther back. yeah in time. and and
0: if you want um if you want like a for all you physicists out there, if you want like a little, an explanation that kind of jibes with that um entropy you know over time systems closed systems fall apart over time um you know at, at some point in time the sun is going to expand swallow us um and destroy this you know the the sun is a close the, the solar system is a closed system basically right. all the energy that it's, that the sun is producing eventually is going to run out and our closed system is going to disintegrate and turn into a, nothing basically just a bunch of cold rocks um so you could also see it like that. The farther back you go, the more stable things are farther forward. You go in time, the less stable things are.
1: So there yeah, you go. You entropy. Bet, I, I can't wait to get a tan when that sun explodes, man. There then you go. They... There you go. <laughs> it's,
0: unfortunately, it's not going to explode. It's just going to expand and swallow us. Oh, expand. Yeah. that's Yeah. Right. The,
1: the whole, yeah expansion thing. Yeah. We're not, we're not
0: big enough. You know, our star isn't big enough, unfortunately.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Jesus Christ to think that this, our star is not big enough and the sun is massive, but that's a whole other fucking thing, man. It's a whole other thing.
0: It, it is actually like a big, it's actually a big type of it star, but it's not even like, yeah. Anyway, we can go on to that. But uh, back to the Um, so this is something that I, that I found myself, you know, like I, I literally added this question like right before I set the, the outline to you. Cause it, it dawned on me, I should probably get this in before we get into some more of the story details. At any point, did you find yourself guessing as to who was writing which character?
1: I did, and my original—I think I'm wrong here because um, I've—I've heard two different interviews where like two different things are said. So um, I actually thought that Blue was was um, Max. Um, okay. The reason that I thought this was, it—I guess like it seemed more of like a guy trying to write for a female voice. And I feel that blue is kind of the person that really has the most flair with some of these like letters and stuff. Like I, her, her letters are a little bit more, um, a little bit more like cooler, worse of verbiage and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I felt that it was, like a guy writing writing a female voice, but like writing it in like a certain way that um, that I just I just didn't think that like a like a female um, writer writing this particular um, character of blue. I, I just didn't really see it in my mind, but I don't. I could be wrong. I, I, I thought blue was Max.
0: Gotcha. You are wrong. Blue is Elmotar, um, and it's. Um... I was that was my initial guess was that blue was Elmo Tar and that um, red was Gladstone, and I, I, you know, so I, I I mean I guess correctly whatever, but it it really like occurred to me for actually the reasons that you're mentioning, um, blue is much more poetic than than red is especially at the beginning I think that's where literally really, like, kind of sticks out, um, and th- something we'll get to actually with the character with the we do get into sub character development here but. Um, I'm sure we'll dive into it more in the next episode, but at the beginning, it stands out much more and it just makes sense. No, like I just knew that El Motar was a poet and it just Mm -hmm. makes sense that the poet would would be one, would be the one writing the poet, the more poetic and poetry, um, loving character of the two.
1: Yeah, that does make a whole lot of sense. The poet thing, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know about till a, a little bit after the fact. Um, but after, going back on it, it makes a lot more sense. And I could comfortably say that I was wrong in my assessments.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's just do a, a quick list here. Um, some favorites and some things that stood out. Um, you don't have to get like, we don't have to like, I'm not going to make you read the whole thing here or, or anything like that, but, um, did you have, um, a favorite, you know, a, a favorite letter from each?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely do. So I got the book open right now, and my two favorite letters are actually very close to each other. Uh, my favorite letter from Blue starts on page 124, and this is the first use of – or the use of My Apple Tree, My Brightness, the hmm. Sinead O'Connor line from her, uh, from her song, which um, I'll mention here in a little bit. Hmm. And uh, this right here is – Blue's first uh, use of the word love in respects in in the closing of the letter to red. And um, in this particular letter, this was the first sign of Blue showing that love back. And um, there's another string of letters that I'm going to discuss. But we, at some point in time, it really looks like something might not happen here between these two. And um, I thought that that was one thing that the story needed was at least a moment where, like, it looked like these two weren't going to be together and stuff. And it it happens with all the love story stuff. It's very, very common in um, these kinds of stories. So this letter from Blue is, um, you know, just basically like just it's very short. Like I guess it's two pages long. I'm trying not to read the whole thing, but in, in summary, this is the the letter that leads to blue's first confession of love to red. And then the second letter is a couple of pages down beginning on page 128. That as a simple dear blue, but this is red basically coming back with more like, I love you. Have I always haven't I? When did it happen? And she admits um, also I think this might even be the first time for red. That's like I love you, and I love you, and I want to find out what it means together. So this, these two letters in this particular section in the book, is when the love element becomes solidified for the first time.
0: I, I believe you are correct. Um, I know you're correct with blue. That that's for sure the first time that um, she uses love. Um, or she ends it with a love blue, and I th- I think you are correct with red because this is also. This also follows the seeds mm-hmm. um, that Red kept. Right. Um, so like, there's three letters in a row from from Blue to represent the three seeds that she was that she uh, ate right away. Right. Um, and I think you're right. Without so, I'm I'm not going to try to skim through this as fast as possible to find it, but I'm fairly certain that you are correct that this is the first time. Yes, because the the previous letter that comes from Red um it just ends with yours red okay and then and then the next time is the i like the profuse use of i love you in the letter
1: yes that de- definitely and i'm gonna get into the whole thing about red and love before at a later question so i was trying okay. to answer without spoiling another question too, gotcha the, gotcha the questions are related yeah gotcha
0: i by the way i do love that we both went with um we both we both grabbed onto something similar. I I had a feeling that that my apple tree was a song, but I couldn't I couldn't place it. Um, so I went with a more basic bitch song that is right there, um, in in reds. So I would I would it's on page um. Oops, hold on a second, I have accidentally earmarked it too too far. It's on page twenty seven, and it's like the first it's the first time that red really shows a significant amount of personality. When and, you know, she's learning how to write formal letters like this is mm-hmm. like she'd never done it before, um, you know, to anyone um, And we can get into. And, and, you know what? That should probably be another episode thing that we talk about. But um, so she she'd never really done this before. And she drops right at the beginning an Eiffel 65 reference. So right. at some point in time, Red did cross a, a strand, as they call the various uh, pieces of, of the multiverse. She crossed a strand in which Eiffel 65 still wrote blue.
1: Yes, yeah. There are some cool things about that in there where um, these strands that they cross, certain things in pop culture are different or they're wondering if they're going to be the same. Like there's a part where Blue goes to see Romeo and Juliet and it's like, is this the comedy or the tragedy version of the story? So as they cross these strands and everything, um, certain things that we are familiar with may have different meaning in these strands.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. I love... Um, there's, there's a whole one that, that we'll get to, um, there's a whole one involving Atlantis. That is, that's kind of funny when they, when they get to it. Um, but yeah, I, I love, I love that one. Like, oh, is this, is this the funny Romeo and Juliet or is this the really sad one? Um, love it. Um, and, and that probably should have been a hint as to what was coming at some point in time. Um but uh, so that was my favorite red to blue letter. And then my favorite blue to red letter, not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to find the exact page, but it's one of the early ones um, when uh, red is a Mongol and it's, it's the tree letter Um, Mm -hmm. when red's hanging with the Mongols and um, you know, she's, she, she's kind of, she's apparently spent at least a decade looking for this letter um, in the, in the time of the Mongols. And then when she finally sees that it's been grown into this tree, um it's one of those it's one of those moments i think in the book too that's i don't want to say it's like watershed because we've already had some like weird letter delivery at that point but i think it was i think it, to me that's like the first signal that like these letters are literally going to be in anything that you can imagine and there's not really going to be any rules for them
1: yeah the letter that you're talking about it starts on page 33 and um with the exception of Blue and the MRI machine with the vapors, which mm-hmm. is the, the the first like, the first time we meet Blue. Yeah, um, the, you're right. It's basically telling the audience that these letters are going to come in some very creative ways, and just about nothing is off the table.
0: Right. Exactly. And uh, and this is the one in which, um, we get a we get a fake book that I that I like. I swear to God, I thought was real. Um, Mrs. Levitt's Guide to um, Etiquette yeah <laughs> on letter etiquette and whatever like I, I swear to god i thought like that's like is that something i've read before and like literally it, it pops up a couple more times and i'm like well it's got to be a real book and then i then i and then they mention uh at a later point in time that um it's from like strand 61 at this point in time i'm like oh no it's fake um i just, like of all the of all the references they dropped i i thought i knew a fake one
1: yeah, well, like, the book's called Miss Le- like Miss Levitt's Guide to Etiquette. It really does sound like a book that they would have come out with in the 20s or the 30s, maybe even prior to that, mm-hmm. to try to teach people, like, letter writing and exactly. stuff like
0: that. Yeah. Yep, yep. It, it, I think they... they I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, like, an actual significantly lesser-known book that some schools had, you know, some schools had at some point in time. Would not be surprised.
1: Oh, yeah, they... They, they had etiquette schools and stuff for women, oh, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, too. Like the whole thing is devoted to it. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a whole library of Congress filled uh, with books trying to teach people, trying to teach women and people how to uh, write and act and think and stuff.
0: Probably. Um, so how about a bit of sarcasm or comedy that you enjoyed? We already mentioned that there's there's actually quite a bit of comedy in this uh, in this in this kind of heartbreaking romance novel
1: yeah so you're like right on the letter that i picked and it's the opening line which is how many boards would the mongols hoard if the mongol horde got bored and <laughs> i enjoyed the wordplay mm-hmm. i really did that was a cool little like kind of thing there and it, with the other letter that you had mentioned earlier uh it, mad props is like the second like yeah. um the second sentence in mm-hmm. the opening line or second yeah second sentence is the opening line so um there were just some little like Kind of delicious little nuggets of uh, humor and one-liners and stuff like that spread throughout the book.
0: I yes, there's a ton. There's a ton of these, um, but I, I will say they're more. It's a little bit more front-loaded, um, simply because the the letter writing gets a little bit more serious as we get yes. as we get going. Um, you know, as as the as the sort of the as their various agencies sort of um, become more aware of what's going on. Uh, letter writing gets a little bit more serious, but it certainly is front-loaded, and there's a lot of humor in the ver- in the very beginning. Um, I loved, I did love the Mongol horde. That one, that one did pop to mind. Um, but I, I'm going to go back to Mrs. Levitt's, um, Mrs. Levitt's, the fictional book, the fictional etiquette book, because it, um, you know, red clearly reads it and, um, you know, talks about how you're supposed to compose a letter. And of course, um, blues next blues next letter is, um, inside of a seal, um, that she clubs and has to cut apart. And right. the letter is inside on a fish. Um, on a piece of cod and the whole, like it, this literally went over my head until like, I got to like the last line of the letter about how, well, Mrs. Levitt said that you're supposed to seal your letters. And I was just like, Oh, you, you motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. There's a three page pun about sealing a letter. She sealed it. She put it inside of a seal.
1: Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder how much went into that. If they did it specifically in a seal to make that joke. Cause I want to say yes.
0: Oh, probably, probably. All right, how about um, how about like a serious moment that caught you by surprise? Because like I said, front-loaded a little bit is a little the, – the front of the book, the beginning of the book is a little bit lighter in tone, and then it gets heavier as it goes on. So um, what were the serious moments that caught you by surprise?
1: Okay, so on around page 181, we get the reveal that Red is this like shadow figure and stuff like that that's yeah. kind of been – it's mentioned – more often than not in the last couple of paragraphs at the end of each chapter of the, the non-letter chapters, Correct. there's a couple other times where it's mentioned that the shadow figure is referenced somewhere in the beginning, but for the most part, it does come at the end.
0: I, I will so- tell you, and I, I didn't catch this until I started, until I did a quick perusal of the beginning. Um, The, the, this, this shadow character is called the seeker yes. Um or they, they, I don't think it's an official title. It's just something they're calling it. Um, the, the, the seeker, um, it is actually mentioned in the first couple paragraphs, but the way it's mentioned, um, the way the seeker is mentioned, I think you're supposed to, I, I, I don't want to say it's like a trick necessarily, but it certainly is like a, a, a little bit purposely, uh, ob- obfuscated from, from like your comprehension at this point in time, since you've mm-hmm. just started the book. Um, right. I think you're supposed to think that red is the seeker. Um, which okay. we'll get to, but I mean, like the way they describe it, it's it's like they're not creating a separate entity at this point, but it's there.
1: Yeah. And like, like for me, when I got, once you like get farther through the book, like that little detail, it kind of like escaped me and stuff. Cause there's mm-hmm. just so, so much more for you to take in. Like um, once you get past the first couple pages and stuff yep. and the, um, the little appearance and everything of it, um, I thought was cool it was just it was appropriate for them to just kind of pepper this in along the way but when they did the big reveal the thing that i really like that was the emotional part was just that like the whole like touching of the lips thing and stuff like that and then red was the person who like touched um let me get, see one second here was collecting pieces and like did the uh, the lip touching of blue i believe yeah she made blue sick yes that's right yes as, as whole, a
0: baby essentially
1: Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So like, the, I guess, setup of that to the payoff. um, That was just like a cool like little like emotional like moment and everything for it. It was this something that we were getting. And I will tell you that I thought it was going to be something different. I thought this was going to be somebody hunting and tracking red and stuff. uh, But I was wrong.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you. the The moments where and I I have I have a I'll, I'll get to mine here in a second because it's the, it's another sort of red and, and red and blue encounter when they didn't realize it. Um, the these like as we I guess we should have expected it. This is a time travel novel. Um, like we should have expected sort of um, you know paradoxical kind of things that were happening. Um, mm-hmm. Like we we kind of should have expected it, and from a book that isn't. Again, that is sort of relying on you to have at least some general pop culture knowledge of what time travel is and like how time travel stories work. I'm very surprised that it took until um like once once we get to that sort of reveal of what red is planning on do, what red is planning on doing. It, it's It's surprising to me, having watched all this time travel shit, having written a very dense episode on time travel for us. That, like I didn't see the sort of paradoxical nature of the story coming back around until it was happening.
1: I didn't see it either because you know, like just kind of continuing on with our reoccurring theme of just like you're only given what you need. I expected this character to be something a little bit bigger, I guess. I expected like a, a bigger twist or something yeah because, hey, you're you're just getting the seeker. you're just getting these little pepperings and everything. And because there wasn't like, an exorbitant list of people to keep track of, and their uniforms, and where they live, like in how it is in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I expected this speaker to be somewhat of an antagonistic force.
0: Right, right, exactly. Um, we should probably mention now, uh, an hour into the podcast, spoilers. Um, oh but, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> whatever. I mean, whatever. Um, it, it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, we we get this. We get this paradoxical nature. Um, we get some. Gl- we get some. We get some early glances at it. So you you pick the one where um, where Red travels, um, you know, d- travels up thread to the creation of Blue and actually makes her sick. And um, this is something that Blue actually had mentioned, um, previous. in like I, I I can't tell you how many pages earlier, but it's a while earlier, um, mentions that she was sick as a child, or whatever mm-hmm. a child is in in the the realm of Garden. Um, so she gets sick as a child. And I picked the other moment when they cross paths unknowingly, um, when again, as a child red wanted, um, she sought loneliness, right? She's, um, one of the, one of the details that we do get, we, it feels like we get more personal or I should say world details about red. Um, you know, hers is, you know, um, she works for, um, an agency called agency and there is a leader called commandant and we get some details the first you know the first like chapter of the book is describing her armor the mechan- you know the mechanical pieces of her body she's not really a human she's like a human form but not really a human and we get this kind of detail later on about how like their consciousness is i guess grown in pods and and they can sort of leave that pod at will and take on new bodies it's how they part of part of how they kind of do some of the time traveling um but it, it's because she's a part of this collective um she she just wanted to be unplugged from it she didn't she didn't want to be constantly like sharing thoughts with the other with other members of the collective i can't really call them people i don't know what they are um but so it's this you know it's this first moment where where red sort of is developing her personality i can't remember what page it's on um, and it's this time that she was almost killed by a creature on this otherwise like uninhabited planet. And it's unknowingly the first time that, um, that she and blue cross paths, um, you know, blue, blue, um, also can sort of uh, not shape shift, but, um, take different, uh, corporeal forms. And she is a, 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 she actually protects her on this planet. And it was mm-hmm. one of those moments that like, oh, I should, you know, again, these little like trappings, because we're so like wrapped up in the emotional, the emotional impact of these stories, I should have seen it coming that like, of course these two have been crossing paths probably forever. So like, of course they're going to come back around at some point to, you know, the, you know, the beginning is the end is the beginning. Yeah.
1: This is one of those ones that, this one I missed like this particular, the first time around, like I later found out about this meeting between the two of them and just the, the research and kind of listening to interviews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was something that was done very, very subtly and just kind of comes and goes and you're, you're kind of like experience this and then you're onto the next thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, uh, these little paradoxical stuff, which just a key part of time travel and something we devoted a lot of airtime and discussing they went right over my head because i was just focused and I, I cared about other stuff like I seemed to be focused on other things
0: yeah, yeah. It, it, it's they again they, they just do gladstone and elmotar just do such a good job of keeping you engaged in the in the feeling of what's happening that they can kind of in a in a, in a not so sneaky way can kind of pull things you know over your over your eyes you know like mm-hmm. you're, you're not seeing it because like you are caught up in the, in the emotional nature of what's going on
1: Right. Exactly. Then that, that is the really fucking awesome thing about this story and the way that they use emotion. Cause I, you know, in other stories, you just aren't going to get emotion like this and everything. It's mm-hmm. just going to be more about the spectacle and the adventure and everything. But this is really about the characters and their emotional development.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, let's, however, let's get into something that's a little bit more, um, a little bit more, uh, typical of the sci-fi novels, the, the settings and some of the, the weird worlds and stuff that they're in. What was your favorite strand in the Braid of Time?
1: Okay, so this this concept existed over many strands, but it's referenced specifically in a letter from Blue um, on page 60, strand 233, which references Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And in Atlantis, like even in Blue's the letter, it wasn't anything special. But the fact that, like Atlantis always had the same fate in each one of these little like timelines and stuff. I thought was really awesome. I actually thought that the Atlantis reference was something that surprised me because in in the time travel stuff, I expected us to maybe revisit certain things and we revisited the assassination of Caesar. There was uh, like Cortez or something like that with the the Aztecs and giving them the European flu like centuries in advance. So Mm -hmm. when the Cortez and the Europeans showed up, they were pretty much immune. So I I figured we would get stuff like this, but I didn't think that we would get – the story about Atlantis or any type of Atlantis reference for that matter. And I remembered being younger and kind of just having this, I guess, interest in this like lost city, you know, that, that I had for a time and the fact that this lost city resurfaced in this book and also sank at like the same time like I, I thought that that was really cool and it was something that I was completely just I didn't expect atlantis i
0: I have I have something to say about atlantis a little bit later on that I'm gonna save but okay um yes i I, I do think it was I, I do think it was interesting the inclusion of atlantis um and i I love that it I love that it 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 does the same thing all the time so much so that they're bored with it yeah. That's right. They're just like, oh, here it goes. Okay, whatever. Um, Okay, that doesn't really matter. Like she was, um, in the in the one that you're specifically referencing, um, Red is like just so distracted by the letter she doesn't even do her job, and like no one kind of cares that like her job isn't completed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This whole take on Atlantis, which not to take anything for what you're going to say later, I just really dug this whole take on Atlantis and having this. This element of our culture and history make an appearance in this book, yeah,
0: yeah, I gotcha. I went with um I went with strand eighty eight twenty seven and this is the the only way I could describe this is what would happen if Elon Musk became president of the United States, and that is a, sure. ci- a cyberpunk virtual reality cult temple um, wherein the wherein the gods are machines. and um I just I love the the sort of how how like backhanded the, the, the way they describe this, you know, the way this like religious order is like they're wearing fucking keyboards on their heads and like their circuitry Mm -hmm. is like exposed. They're like so technologically, you know, imbued to this, you know, to this one sort of singular, I don't even know if you want to call it a supercomputer necessarily, but they're like, so like slavishly devoted to this thing that it's, it's so comical. Like it's, it's just like if that, that doesn't even feel like a subtle jab at the way certain parts of the world are going. That's just like, Hey, by the way, if we let these fucking tech monsters run the world, this is what we have in store.
1: Yeah. No, I'm not going to lie. They're, they're on point. They're not, I don't think that they're that far off in that, uh, in that future and everything. And the idea of people completely devoting themselves to technology and being slaves to technology, we're we're kind of already there, you know. Mm-hmm. So people with keyboards on their head might be something that is in in our future or in the world's future for I, sure. I,
0: I think they give I, I you know I, I don't think I earmarked this, so I'm not gonna try to flip through it and find it right now. But I I, I think they give a detail where um where blues nails are keys on the keyboard, and it's just like mm-hmm. I'm just like yeah, you know it's weird. I could see some cyberpunk douchebag, um doing that to themselves, like gluing on. Gluing on nails, gluing on a uh, 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 keyboard keys to their nails. I could totally see that.
1: Oh, it, it happened at Coachella. I will guarantee you it happened at Coachella. Probably. <laughs>
0: um, so was there was there anything that like the, where the context just went right over your head, like you you had to stop and look it up, either like in that moment or you like you made a point to like, hold on, I got to go back to this at some point.
1: Yeah, for me it was the pop culture references. Some mm-hmm. of these things, like I had seen before, maybe heard before, but at the times I'm looking at it, just like went entirely over my head. And the book, the copy of the book that I got is, I don't know if it's like, it's definitely pro book club in some way, shape or form. Cause in the end you get, um, questions that are, you're supposed to ask for when you have your book club and everything. Hmm. And one of the questions referenced these pop culture references and stuff. And I was just like, Wait a minute. So, like the, the Sinead O'Connor thing, the Apple 65 thing, like I got like the, the Romeo and Juliet stuff, and like I thought I actually thought it was cool that they name dropped both Cleveland and Ohio in the, in the book, too.
2: Multiple, but, um, multiple times. Some of the,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that was out of all things in the world. Awesome. Way to get a shout out, mm-hmm. uh, Ohio. But um, some of these more specific pop culture references were things that I definitely had to go back and look up because when I saw this question at the end of the book, I was like, I was like, yeah, like there was some, but I was like, is this? I didn't know the the pop culture stuff was going to be this much of a thing to where it merited a question to be printed at the back of this book. Mm-hmm. So I went back and looked up some stuff, and then that's when I became more familiar with this, like '65, the Shinado or stuff like that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I I did not have that copy of the book. Kind of wish I did now. Um, <laughs> I I'll, I will tell you this though. I literally I literally Google because this was putting this together was very different from like when we would put together a movie or a TV show, um, mm-hmm. Um, I literally just Googled like, what are good book club questions? <laughs> Cause like, mm-hmm. I, like, yeah, I, I was just like, I'm like, we can't really break this down the way we would normally break down a movie or something. It just, just doesn't work that way. Um, so like I literally, that, that would have been helpful if I had that copy <laughs> in, in terms of writing this, but anyway, um, yeah. So like some of the pop culture references, um, for sure were just like, you know, like those were ones I'm like, okay, I should go back and look this up. There are some definitions of things that, like, I, f- f- like, I'm just like, okay, well, I don't, I'm not into gardening, so like I, I'm, I'm missing this particular um, definition of something. So there's <laughs> stuff like that, but it was mostly, um, it was like the sort of the bigger, and I, I don't know, I guess you can't really call it pop culture because this like stuff like this existed well before pop culture, but like, um, uh, like the death of Chatterton. Was, was something of the mm-hmm. reference multiple times. And I, I was just like, is this a book? What it's a painting. Um, and it's the painting that, um, red finds in the, in the tube at the end, um, in London. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and she, you know, she talks about the positioning of it and she doesn't know, she clearly doesn't know what it is, um, necessarily, but like it, she, she kind of, I, I can't remember the exact line, but she gives a line about how it, this feels like something faintly that blues talked about before, and it's the death of Chatterton. It's an oil painting by, who was it? Henry Wallace. Um, and it depicts the, and this is again, one of those things, probably if I knew what the death of Chatterton was, I would have, it's one of those things I would have seen coming um, a mile away. But um, oh. the subject the subject of the painting is 17 year old English romantic poet, Thomas Chatterton. Um, and it depicts his suicide in um, by poisoning, by arsenic poisoning in 1770. And if you look this painting up, it is starkly colorful with very deep blues and very deep reds.
1: Yep. Yes, it totally is. Yes, this painting was featured in one of the um, reviews that I read for the book and stuff. They had a couple like quick lines about the painting and everything like that. And uh, yeah, that is like one of those um, kind of paintings that the painting itself doesn't tell the whole story of how this is how you lose the time war. But there are several things and themes that one can infer from like looking at the painting
0: the even the um if i'm remembering the way that blue that blue dies she even dies in a similar position that that chatterton's pictured in
1: yeah i think that you are right about that but 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 i I think she's the,
0: the difference being she's holding a letter obviously
1: Yes, yes 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 and even on page 173 they you know they've just chatterton is being referenced even that far into the book okay so like yeah so i mean like they really they do a good job of reinforcing this concept because of the imagery associated with the painting
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly all right chema let's move on to our down thread consequences um, uh, we're gonna, we're just gonna sure. be talking a little bit more in, in, well, a little bit more detail about some of the, uh, things that are happening in this book and the way it's, the way it's formatted and structured. And let's start off with like sort of the biggest one that we've already hinted at. Um, there's a ton that we as the reader are left in the dark about concerning the story, the characters. I, I mean, like there's a lot for you to fill the, you know, fill in, in terms of the blanks. I mean, there's like huge gaps. Mm-hmm. Do, right. Yeah, do you think the pervasive vagueness was a strength or a weakness? Okay.
1: I think it starts off as a strength. And as we get in to the book more, some of the vagueness can be a little bit of a weakness, weakness because I per like I said, I I want more. I could have used a lot more. Mm-hmm. The book is great, but as somebody who likes the book, I would like to know more about it. So when you start off with the vague language and kind of the prose and the way the story's written, you it, it works really well because you're in the beginning, you're just kind of getting adjusted to the author's voices. Even myself personally, and this is where I'll bring up what we talked about off-air, was like I kind of had to learn how to reread a fiction story uh, while reading this book, because mm. everything I read is books on music or screenwriting books. So in the beginning, like, this was cool, this was fresh, this was kind of new, but as it got farther and I kind of wanted to know more and we didn't get it, the vague language to me sort of became a weakness because I feel, like, as a fan of this, that I would mm-hmm. that I would like more. So I, I, I hate to do the thing with the question where, like, you know, I can't pick one or the other, yeah. but this... Particular story, I don't think it's as cut and dry in terms of the vagueness. And like, there are certain things that take place in the book that you don't really have any like resonance on. Like, there's a failed mission um, early on in the story where uh, Red is walking through these caverns and the whole thing is supposed to start this basically to start a butterfly effect where a guy hears a sound goes to build a hermitage that in a couple of years will provide shelter for someone who's fleeing like a fleeing a city or whatever
0: i i so, think was that was that supposed to be out of curiosity was that supposed to be a potential jesus or, origin story i thought that there was
1: reference that somewhere in there christ or religious figures would get involved and this would be the one point in time that i could assign to it being something for a, a religious
0: figure yeah yeah just, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt that was just one of those and actually oh. i guess it goes to your point that that's one that's a little almost like a little too vague that like another detail about perhaps location would have yeah would have given a little more insight into exactly what this what this um oracle essentially was telling this guy basically
1: yeah exactly and i will say that i kind of thought we were going to maybe get like a little more resonance on this because like red at that point in time left the mission unfulfilled it was not completed it was like a mission failure so i thought we were maybe going to follow up with that like at some point in time later on and the vagueness kind of hurt that whole situation there because number like you said you would no idea where it was this maybe could have been something of significance and then number two like when somebody fails for something you you usually don't leave failures unfulfilled like when somebody completes something and everything's great and every and the thing's a success you you like you know that's great that marks the culmination of whatever you are trying to do whether it's an arc a scene whatever it is but when you leave like a story point at a point of failure, and then never like, follow up on it. That's kind of like where I feel like the vagueness like hurts a little bit, like where we maybe could have 10 additional pages that kind of follow up on some of these failures. So the fact that they leave some of these things, unfulfilled, unsettled, um, it's not like it leaves an unsettling thing in myself, but it seems like where it's just like okay well maybe if the language wasn't as vague or maybe if it wasn't as poetic as it is maybe we could have got some solution on that
0: yes i understand exactly what you're saying um and and i'll allow it i'll I'll allow you to not answer a question here it's fine um but no i understand exactly what you're saying and i i think that i think for me overall it's a strength (coughs) excuse me hold on a second I think overall, this is a strength um, to kind of be vague, simply because, you know, like I, I I don't need descriptions of everything. I can, my my brain can fill in the blanks on a lot of stuff. And I, I really do appreciate being able to, you know, like we, like I don't need like in-depth details, of, you know, like we said before, like the time travel stuff. Um, I don't really need in-depth details about how it works, how it looks, how it feels, you, you actually get a little bit of that um towards the end as as red makes her sort of um um you know her Trojan, <clears throat> excuse me her trojan horse entry into garden um so you do get a little bit of that like the description of like what it looks like to her but i i don't really need the hand holding in that regard but there are some places and i think as we introduce more elements as we introduce you know we actually get um garden we get a meeting with garden we get you know we don't agency is a little bit different um it has a representative called commandant you know as we introduce more characters i would like a little bit more to flesh them out um yes yeah. you know like we we get these things about like about garden you know garden is um garden is both the place i guess it's much more than that it's the place the commander and the the physical representation of of what of the side of the force that blue is fighting for agency Mm -hmm. is the side that red is fighting for and it has a representative like you know commanding officer essentially just named commandant um so like when we begin introducing these very when we introduce the meetings like there's two um there's two meetings between red and red and commandant and blue and garden um when we introduce them as essentially characters i would like a little bit more to flesh them out um and i think i think there's a little bit more with commandants. We get a little bit more details that, you know, commandant is again, like they can just essentially take over the bodies of, of, you know, whatever they want to. And, but we even, so we do get some detail that like, you know, commandant takes over the bodies, but also it's, this isn't even commandant. This is a robotic interface that commandant works through. So it's like, commandant's even farther removed. um, Yes. From, you know, from the, how, how they take over bodies. Um, but you know, that's like really the only detail we get. And I would like, if you're going to introduce these, these very key pieces that we talk about throughout the book, um, I would have liked a little bit more in terms of that. But I think in terms of like the story stuff, like how the details of how things work, what is the time war, that kind of stuff. I don't need details on that. It's, and I think part of it, I I don't want to make this any longer. So I'll I'll wrap this last part up real quickly here. Like a big part of that is Chema. if you and I were, you know, we're in fact agents of a time war. Why would we describe in our letters to each other how time travel works? We fucking know how it works. Right, we're the ones fucking doing it. We know what the war is about. We're the ones fucking in it. So, you know, I think that would sort of, you know, if we got more details about that, that would feel like a weird thing for two soldiers in the middle of a war to go like, well, here's what we're fighting about.
1: Right. That's a very, very good point on that. And that would be one of these examples of, it just lip service for like the audience and stuff like that, you know, like an ex like a expository thing that um, is just thrown in there for, for the sake of the audience and stuff. Yeah, And it does, this is doesn't seem like the style of the the authors at all, which, which is good. And you're actually not really supposed to do that kind of stuff anyway. But where you really hit on here is this idea of the villains being more fleshed out because in stories like this, the villains are usually really fucking cool. And in this particular story, the villains and antagonistic forces are really fucking cool. Yeah, they are. We don't really get, like, much of them at all. You're right. We get more Commandant than Garden. And I attribute that to Red being the protagonist of this story. So we're going to, like, just naturally get a little bit more about her and, like, the stuff around her, the things that challenge her and the obstacles. But... We really did not get anywhere near as much um, fleshing out or information as I would have liked to on the villains, because villains are always the most interesting thing. And I'm telling you, to go back to a Game of Thrones comparison, there's probably more about what Tywin Lannister looks like in Game of Thrones than his initial introduction in in the the first book, Game of Thrones, Mm. that are... uh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think he's in that. Um, then we have gotten for any for both of, of red and blues like right. primary primary antagonists.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I you know it, it's I don't think it's not it's not an element that drags the story down, but it is something where I'm like, yeah, hey, we could use a little more, just a touch more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good that's a good thing. When you want more, that is a good thing
0: mm-hmm um and actually just side question here because we both had the same thought um you so you also saw red as the protagonist because i did as well yes i did okay
1: yeah you bet just Definitely. wanted to double check on that yeah
0: i mean it red i mean the first description is of red red's missions um we get the most detail about red and commandant and, and agency um and and it just you know when does when is our first like full blue interaction? It's like in more like page like twenty or so.
1: The uh, first blue letter comes around like page ten or so in the adventure, following shortly after that.
0: That's right. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, you get you get a little bit more focus on red, and then obviously much more focus on red at the ending because blue yeah. dies. So. <laughs>
1: Right, exactly, yeah. Right. yeah. Easily, uh, for a story like this, I could see how maybe some people would get confused, but for me, I I thought it was clear that Red was the okay. protagonist. Gotcha.
0: Um, so did the format, the epistolary novel format, help bring you farther into the world of Red or Blue, or was it something that you, that you had to overcome as a reader?
1: Okay. Like I said before, I was initially surprised by how much the letters were a part of the story. However... This is really the only time that we get to know them for who they are. The other chapters are more just like adventure stuff and situations, things that they find themselves, stuff that would, would look really cool in a TV or a movie. Mm-hmm. But the letters between them is when we actually get to know the, the characters as as these crazy like you know like a human non-human consciousness whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. um this is where we really get to know them this is where we get the um real glimpses of like their personality what their desires are and stuff and i'll I'll tell you like if the letters weren't there these characters would not be as complete they would they wouldn't be flat But they wouldn't be complete. And like when I even look at like kind of like the fundamentals of like what makes a character in a story, it's like okay, there's you have a character, they want something, something stands in their way, Um, and then there's also like a reason that they they want stuff too, and the letters help make that circle complete. And like you know somebody might um, see that Red's overarching goal is to win the the time war and somebody might have that opinion and that is like i guess an external motivating goal of reds is to win the time war but however there's also like in the first couple of pages they mention how like feeling is a fetish for red and they kind of go into like at this point in time when they introduce this concept that she's feeling fear so to me like another like goal of reds is to like like feel something to like feel to not feel lonely to like feel Mm -hmm. complete or to feel like you have something else out there in this world and we wouldn't get the full character if it wasn't for the letters and it works the exact same way with blue too so the um adding the letters in there i i is a very creative and very like essential way for the audience to get to know the characters on a personal level, not just by what they do in the, the, the strands and on the battlefield and on the missions.
0: I, I agree with you. And I think if this, if this novel was written more like your general, you know, your typical sci-fi, um, your typical sci-fi novel, that it would come across one, it would be pretty dry Um, you know, without, without like catastrophic battles and all kinds of other stuff it would be pretty dry and it would be very difficult to build character, um, with, you know, like, especially with two characters that are, you know, because they're dependent upon each other as we, as we find out, they're completely dependent upon each other for existence. Um, but also like they're dependent upon each other for growth and how would these, you know, both, you know, emotional, you know, growth, intellectual growth, all kinds of stuff. They're dependent upon each other for this. And how could you possibly in a regular format come up with some excuse to make these two characters on opposing sides of a war who have actually never really met, um, grow with each other other than through direct correspondence.
1: Yeah. There, you really can't do it in a way that's not corny as hell. You know, like what are they going to do? Get stuck in the same area together or something? Like I, I don't feel that that works and it, it is not as creative as this, nor would that situation or any other situation I could possibly think of given 30 seconds to think about it would, would have as much creativity or do as much Mm -hmm. or service this type of story as the epistolatory format.
0: Exactly. So I I will say this to, to, to this question real quickly here just to, because you said most of it, but I, I I also think as someone like you who doesn't really read a lot of fiction these days, um, it, it like, I'm hell. I don't really like, I, I embarrassingly don't read as many books as I used to these days. Um, you know, part of it's just because of work. I'm fucking reading shit all day long. Um, like I just like, like the last thing I want to do is like, you know what I want to do after reading for eight hours is go read more. Um, so like, but you know, when I do read, it's a lot of nonfiction. This was a really good way to sort of kind of, you know, um, you know, kind of relearn how to ride this particular bike. Was to go straight into, not have to worry about the, you know, not have to, to think about like the, worry about the descriptors, the settings and everything else. Let's just dive right into the emotional resonance of the story and just read mm-hmm. what they're thinking, read what they're telling. You know what I mean? Like really get into the meat of the right. of, of the emotional stuff and just kind of don't worry about anything else. So it was kind of like a good way to get back on that horse. Dude,
1: Really good points right there, man. Like once again, like you to go back to the game of Thrones thing, which is just, I'm going to have to try to stop at some point in time, <laughs> but uh, to go, to go back to that, like, I don't know if I would have absorbed the material as much if I had to read all, all of this, you know, kind of like additional stuff and description and everything, the letters really cut right to the meat and potatoes of the whole thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it, combined with some of the other things I said earlier, this really made this to be like an easy read there. This is not a difficult read at all.
0: No. And, and, and you know, one of the things that I found, even some of the stuff that went over my head, you know, like the, the Crittenden stuff or Chatterton, it's not Crittenden, Chatterton stuff, the um, some of the pop culture references, some other little references to certain moments in time or whatever, even the things that went over my head, in like in terms of their very specific nature of what they were i could still get the context from the way that they were talking about them and because we're talking more about emotion and mood that was sort of like it was fine like you know like i could just infer what this meant i can't give you a specific example right now but like i felt it multiple times where i'm just like okay like i don't know what that means but i don't know i don't specifically know what that means i'll look it up in a little bit but i get i get the feeling of what they're going for here
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They do a really good job of creating like whether it's atmosphere, like an emotional feeling. There's a lot of really good kind of strings that these people pull on is like, you know, just to kind of get your emotions going. and
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But sort of it's just I won't belabor this point anymore either. But it's sort of like when you're watching uh, a non-English language movie, um, even even like without subtitles you can get the emotion through like through good acting. Like you can see what's happening. Yes. Um, it's kind of not exactly like that, but there is a feeling of that. Even if I was missing context of something, I still got the feeling of it.
1: Yeah. Without a doubt, dude, great comparison. I understand what you're saying. Yeah.
0: So, so we, you know, to kind of circle back to the vagueness kind of thing, what was something that you did want more explanation on? Be it simply for clarity's sake or just something you, you were just intrigued by. And you wanted to know more. Okay, I I kind of like
1: when try to give you part of resume the rest of it later. But like I really wanted to know some more motivations behind the two sides like Mm -hmm. and this this didn't come to me while I was reading this came like after the fact and stuff, because once again, like I the way that the real estate is in this book and everything and like that kind of the time. Constraints that you and I were both under. I appreciated the 200-page the uh, format and everything, mm-hmm. but like as I got through it, I'm just like, my God, I really could have like just used some like as to why this whole thing was happening. Just a little bit of yeah. motivation behind the two sides, and um, I'm going to get into like the um, the reasoning and the, the details of that in a later question. Mm-hmm. But that was like that was clearly the, the thing that really got me because it, it was just. Like, it was this really classic, this classic situation that we've seen even as early as Raised by Wolves. Not exactly that, but we're venturing into this kind of neighborhood and territory. And with Raised by Wolves, the motivations, I I don't even think that I really need to explain it. It's already there. You know, it's Mm -hmm. who versus who. I know what they're going after. But with this, I did not get as much clarity as to like exactly why they would be doing it
0: yeah i gotcha i gotcha and that actually i'm i'm gonna save my thoughts on this as well on your your point here as well because i sort of have two related points later so but yes I, i totally get what you're saying um that the 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 whole reason for their existence might be more interesting to get some some details on for sure yeah, because
1: it it's so cool. They're so cool. These are really awesome ideas. It's mm-hmm. like my God, I just want to like give me, give me forty minutes and a sheet of questions to ask the authors because I have some. Right,
0: right. Um, yeah. So I'm with you there. This is this is my Atlantis, um, sort of interjection here, um, because okay. like I did like its inclusion and I I wanted to know more. I wanted to like see some other ways this thing got destroyed, because yeah. Um, it's because like, I, I took this as sort of a, um, a shot, you know, a shot across the bow of how a lot of, um, a lot of sci-fi stories, um, you know, adventure type stories, um, they, they, not, not that, not that they specifically use Atlantis, though a lot of times they do, but how there's, in a lot of these stories, there's always some mythical city, on which the the tyranny of the the or should I say the, the nature of humans ends up ruining something that's perfect. Um, it's mm-hmm. you, uh, the tale is old as time, and right. I feel like it's sort of a shot at that sort of trope that is in so many stories. That's in the fucking Bible, uh, for Christ's sake, like uh, the Old Testament. Um, you know, the wickedness of man destroying a city, and it's just like you know for it the way that they sort of treat it, both both red and blue in the book, the way they sort of treat it, they're like, oh this shit again. Like like God damn it. Like, all right, we'll just let the fucking thing sink and then we'll I'll save some people or not save some people. (laughs) Whatever. Who the fuck really cares? It's gonna do this every single time. And it's it's sort of like it's almost as if they're saying like yeah yeah, we know. People are shitty. We get it. It's not really a lesson that we need to learn anymore. I I, I love the way that Atlantis was included in this in this uh, in this story, and I would have loved to see just a little bit more of like why they clearly sort of are bored with this trope. The authors are bored with this trope via the way that the red and blue are bored with watching this thing sink.
1: Right. No, I get what, dude. I understand everything you mean right there, and the um, I get you're right. I guess it could have been used like. A, have a little bit more to it because you're crossing into this territory where it's like, if you feel this way, the characters feel this way. Why even go there at all Mm -hmm. or maybe pick something else, you know, like if you're if you are tired of the trope and your characters are tired of the trope, do you need to remind the audience of that? Are are you trying to spark like a a future discussion of some kind? Like and because I'd probably say that, you know, if, if this was a movie, there would definitely be a lot you, you either don't have that or you have that in there and it, and it means something and it, it means something that is introduced and comes back later on in some way, shape or form. But yeah. if you're just trying, if you're just trying to provide some kind of commentary, I'm kind of okay on, not on your commentary for now, you know, like mm-hmm. at that point in time in the story, it's still pretty early. I, I'm not going to say that like, um, That they hadn't earned my trust or whatever, because like you know, like a couple, you know, freaking pages into it, I realized that is great and like yeah, like you, I am in for the ride, but I kind of sort of like don't want to hear like the commentary part about it, you know. And if like if you are gonna put in commentary, just like thank God it was Atlantis, you know, like we didn't really get into like. I guess like more serious stuff, I think maybe more serious stuff should just be like maybe reserved for another story or something like yeah. that. But, um, so if we are going to reserve a section of the authors trying to maybe interject their beliefs about something and something that isn't really all that important to the story, it's like, they'll move, like, why do it or do something different?
0: Yeah, no, I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, so did you feel like Elmotar and Gladstone did a good job of creating distinct characters and distinct voices?
1: Okay. I think it, it takes a while for me anyway to really notice the distinction. I didn't get it right away. Mm-hmm. And both of the letters, like, there's a certain, like, poeticism about each one of the letters That's it's not the same, but it is kind of sort of, like, comparable to each other. So the distinctness of the characters for me came a little bit later on. I kind of had to get to know them a little bit before I was able to really start to notice the differences. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, when you think about it, it's like, there are these two consciousness. um, They're both in like a war. They have like the same job. They kind of sort of want the same things. So when you have a lot of these, things that are the same with the characters. It just takes a little while for me personally to start picking apart the differences. But once I did, the characters became very well-rounded and like it became very, and had depth and had everything that character should have. But I just don't feel that like I got that identification right off the bat.
0: I would I 100% agree with you. And I think that that is actually very much on purpose because it takes red about two letters to sort of um as we mentioned like the the fake etiquette book it takes red about two mm-hmm. letters to even sort of like fully to fully get why you would be writing someone in this manner um yeah and so like you know so like to me uh, and we mentioned this before like we both we both agree red is the protagonist of this book if you you know, like I, I, you know, they occupy the most time. Um, you know, their narrative occupies the most time, and I think that, like, I think that that's part of the the journey for Red is sort of unlearning, you know, unlearning certain behaviors, learning new ones. Whereas Blue comes to us much more fully formed already. Um, you know, she's mm-hmm. the one obviously that that makes first contact, and like her her prose, the way she's written she's clearly a much more complete character at this point. And we have to watch red um, sort of, we have to watch red again, learn how to learn how to write a letter, learn how to make a joke, learn how to do all this other stuff that she like hadn't previously done before. So I, I, I actually, I 100% agree with you. And I think that that was on purpose.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you like red, we see really develop like blues. You're right. Got a lot more confidence. It's a lot more of a completed character and stuff. And it does take a while for, like, Red to get out of her shell and everything like that and to find her voice. You know, she's got her position and her station in life, but it takes the story a little while for her to find her actual personality and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, I could see them doing that intentionally, too, man, because, it's like, when you have, once again, going back to the real estate thing here, you only have so much of it and – I guess, as like part of the development, you kind of have to do the development in any way, shape or form that you can. And it is a comp- and it's totally believable that this conscious would have to learn these kinds of things because they've they've never done it before. And it would take a while for them to learn how to make jokes, to feel comfortable about making jokes, to learn who their audience
0: is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to I'm not going to belabor that point. That's, yeah, I just, I, I agree with you and I do think that that was sort of an intentional choice just to so, just to so, uh, to show exactly how much red grew from you know this this killing machine to to then someone who was um you know blabbering about their love and creating you know you know creating similar you know similes to, to various pop culture references and all kinds of other stuff you know from someone who didn't even understand like why you would seal a letter
1: mm-hmm Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I'm telling you like really creative work here that these authors did and stuff like I, there might be a, there might be a thousand books out there that are like written similarly, but this is like my first, this is like being my first one. And I, I loved what they did.
0: Mm -hmm. So was there a letter or sequence that connected with you or maybe one that like just fell flat?
1: OK, so there was definitely one that I connected with and this starts on page 80. And when Red starts to become a little bit more expressive with her feelings towards Blue, she doesn't say love. She uses this thing like I'm yours, and like I am do whatever like with me, like I'm, I'm at your behest type of language and stuff. And this is when we first have like I feel the real turn of her uh, feelings for Blue for blue and stuff like that, when they really become evident. And then on page 88, this is uh, when blue titles, the letter is like Mishka Wanzi or red light is like the, the translation of that word. Mm -hmm. Um, Like blue, it's, it's a rejection. Like, you know, Hey, I'm on vacation. Like I got this husband, like they mentioned brevity and stuff like that. And then a later letter read apologizes for the brevity. So it's almost like she, she's even aware that she was rejected and that like, she was maybe trying to like take things a step farther or to maybe take, or to to take another step and blue wasn't ready for it, you know? So that's the first time we really hear about blues husband. And we hear about reasons, like why the two of them can't be together, and that's like in terms of the actual the love part about it. That is the the first real test that we see of of their love and like where this love could go. Because before the letters were it's back and forth, it's taunting, it's the kind of these jokes that they make between the two of them and getting to know each other. But when Red, being the protagonist and being a, an active protagonist, takes that first step and and fails like, you know, it's something that I think a lot of people and myself included, where you, you put your emotions out there for somebody and they're just basically like, yeah, no fuck you. Or I have a boyfriend, this, that, and the other. I feel that this is one of the most personable letter exchanges that, that, that people could really like identify with out of the entire story.
0: I 100% agree with you. This is, I almost chose this actually as, 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 you know, as the letter. Um, But, I'm actually glad I didn't, um, because I do want to talk about this with you. And like, yeah, like it's it's I wouldn't even I don't know if necessarily I I want to go as hard as rejection, but sort of a um, that first time that you in a relationship that you realize like, oh, things are a little more serious than I thought. And and, you know, like you said, like before, this this is all like battlefield taunts. And like, hey, good job! Like, you know, you like, you got me on that one, buddy. Like, I, I appreciate the, I appreciate the, you know, the the, the tact. I appreciate the tact or the tactics, the 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 subtlety, the cleverness, whatever. You know, with some flirting, with some obvious flirting, and then right. it's it's the first time that you know, like, whatever this relationship looks like, the first time that someone takes takes that first significant step forward, and you're just like you said, Blue's not really ready for it, and it's just sort of like. Oh, 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 that's what we're doing. Okay, like it it feels more like, um, again, I wouldn't call it outright rejection. I would call it more of a um, um, just a well, I mean, like the red light is actually in the the title of the letter. So like it's it is sort of like um, it is sort of just like, well, hold on one second before we, you know, before this goes any further. Can we can we talk about this basically? But I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it an outright rejection but I, I got you but i am 100% on board with with sort of that's the point where the first time that red really shows that sort of personal vulnerability and and just basically puts it all all in the all in blue's hands to to say yes or no and kind of guide it from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. And like it just reminds me of a couple instances, you know, like growing up and stuff where you're, you're talking to somebody, maybe there's something there and there's not. And like that other person almost just like this person just ask me out. Mm-hmm. Like, did he really just do that? Like, this is an option now. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, like, <laughs> it's yeah. It's really, again, it's really interesting how um, these, you know, these um, two time traveling assassins still have very um, sort of, I don't to say underdeveloped, but, yeah, actually, underdeveloped might be the word. Like emotions that they've just had never used before. So yeah, they they are underdeveloped, and they just sort of are in a very middle school sort of way feeling out their relationship.
1: Yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly a very middle school way of doing it. Exactly.
0: Um, love the choice. I I actually went with I actually went with Blue's death um, and her sort mm-hmm. of des- her sort of description of death in in the letter, but also the way that she how she glides so easily in her prose that like she legitimately is kind of pissed off that like you like, fuck you actually poisoned me. You, you, you went to this point and you actually poisoned me, but thank God you poisoned me. Like how embarrassing would it be if someone else had poisoned me and killed me that someone else would have interrupted. Like basically this is happening on their terms on blue and reds terms. And she you know i can't imagine i don't know obviously it's not like i've had a near-death experience or anything but i have to imagine there's a lot of shit that you go through if you know that you're dying that sort of so for her that betrayal the gratitude that it's someone she loves is the one who killed her the there's like fear of not really like like holy shit like i I wouldn't call fear of the unknown it's fear of the like what what happens now Like, what are you going to do? Like, what, what does, like, what does this even mean for you and me? She's because clearly she was, you know, just given her, um, her role in this war. She's all, both of them were prepared to die, but you know, their, their love sort of changes that, that sort of like, you know, well, I don't want to die like this. And then I guess sort of acceptance, like this whole letter goes through like a range of emotions in, I can't, I don't think it's very long, maybe three pages, four pages of this letter it, she goes it's
1: three starting on page 171 yes. thank you
0: it, she goes through a lot of emotions in this very short period of time and it's it's a really it's a very interesting sort of I, I i wonder if someone who knows that they're dying like what they go through and would you have the consciousness to even like sort of have those like emotions and you know it's obviously a little bit different for time traveling consciousness but um it's very interesting that um you know that we get this sort of beginning to end sort of gamut of of the feelings that she's going through.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. This particular letter like you're getting the you're getting like the full freaking range of emotions here and I mean we're even going into like yeah, on the, the second page of the letter, she mentions like how she's disappointed at first and, and that it worked after all. I bit your poisoned apple, no glass coffin, which I think Snow White is the Snow White's the, the poison apple. I can't remember if she was buried in a glass coffin. So like, it, could be another, right. like yeah. it, it kind of it could be another like a reference in there and stuff. And then unit goes on. To talk about how she was such a splendid agent for the side, and if anything, it saddens me in this waste of you, sweet and safe in the cold sharp places that won't thrill to pierce your skin. So like this is like a really like poetic send-off and and an acceptance of what is about to happen, but in this way, like she does feel happy that like Red is the person that did that to her. And um we, we've seen certain like examples of this. Like the, the first thing that comes to my mind is like an X-Men origins, Wolverine, like Sabretooth is just like, nobody's going to kill you, but me. So there's just like this certain, like kind of like respect that maybe people on the opposing sides of an issue, or in this case a war can have. And, and not in the case of X-Men origins, but like in the, the case of this particular story that's, that like love could be a, could be a feeling, but it could also be maybe mixed and kind of blended together with some of like the honorable things about battle and stuff like giving yourself like a noble death. And in this case, the noble death you're getting is done by somebody you love.
0: Yeah. Someone you love and someone that you, um, you reached out to because you thought that they were an equal that, yeah. that they're, they're like you, you want to, you want a really crude movie reference that I think works. This is this is Ricky Bobby and Jean Girard The um, okay. Caledega Knights You know, Jean Girard came Came to America to lose Essentially, like, mm-hmm. he just He clobbers everyone in F1 So he leaves Europe and he comes to America To find, you know, to, to essentially um, I, I mean, I guess in a way Fall in love with Ricky Bobby and, and, you know Find someone who's his equal to finally To finally kill him, to finally beat him
1: Yeah, definitely, dude Definitely, that is a real the wall comparison, but it totally fucking works, and I love it. It works.
0: <laughs> oh, I really like literally until this moment did not plan on dropping a Ricky Bobby reference, a Talladega Nights reference into this book about time traveling, uh, queer time traveling assassins. So.
1: Yeah, but where else could you get this kind of information? I know, I know.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's go into this last section here calling personal strands. Um, so just kind of like your impression on things uh, we're going to finish out here with. So what do you think are the three main ideas the authors are most interesting, most interested in exploring? And just like any details for why you think that?
1: Okay, so I'm going to start off with with war. That's a clearly obvious one. In, it's the idea of battle, two opposing sides fighting over something, though whether it's not clear and defined. They're, the use of war to establish, um, you know, like the the setting, the sides that these characters are on, to like you know maybe give a little bit of insight as to them through the war. So, like, I feel that this, um, the idea of conflict, war, whatever you want to call it, is something that is co- completely prominent in this story. And it makes it all the way into up until, like, even the end when Red decides to sneak into a garden and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, garden, all the people are the same. They're all, like, wired the same. They're all, like, adjusted the same. And it's just an enemy going beyond beyond enemy lines and stuff. So um, that is one thing. The um, idea of the butterfly effect runs very, very prominent throughout throughout the story, um, and particularly in the beginning. And they even talk about how like you roll a stone that becomes an avalanche. Mm-hmm. So and how the butterfly effect drives their missions. And in the end, like you know, this whole like I guess like kind of paradoxical thing about how this these little things along the way that the seeker does ends up having a big effect in in the end, in the outcome. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the butterfly effect would be number two. And then the third one is the idea of connection and like, ha- and everything in the connection is a very prominent theme throughout this story. Everything is connected. The strands of time are connected. These two characters are connected, not only in their field, in the war, but in their course, um, the the garden is connected to blue. The agency is connected to red. The, these missions all connect together in some kind of way, shape, or form with this the seeker and stuff like that. Um, and there are obviously a couple. Um, missions that don't really have any connection to where the story goes but it's a connection because of the strands of time mm-hmm. and the, the theme of t- time travel and stuff so my three um, again are a connection war and the butterfly effect
0: like it I like it um, we're going to hit on some similar things here um, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with the first point and I'll actually expand it I called it the meaninglessness of war Um, you know, as Mm -hmm. as obviously the title suggests, there's a a fierce battle across time that perhaps billions of people have died in, um, you know, over, over the various different, um, you know, I'll, I'll call it space time since that's really what we're dealing with here, like a multiverse situation where, you know, one, one branching reality leads to another leads to another. Um, so perhaps billions of people have died in this, in this particular war and really what is it even amounted to at this point? um nothing tangible or visible um there's there isn't a winner despite all these people dying and and you know so like that sort of not saying that every single war in the history of humanity has been unjust I mean I think I think stopping the Nazis was worth going over you know was worth World War II if yeah. you will um mm-hmm. I, I, easy for me to say no one I know died in it so um easy for me to say but, those are different situations. When you look up, when you look at the history of war across the world, what really gets fucking accomplished? Nothing. Um, right. So there's that. And then you can even extend that to, uh, to red and blue themselves. They are, despite the fact that they would, despite excuse me, despite the fact that they are in fact, like, you know, seemingly the two most important officers, soldiers in this war, they don't even have much information about what they're doing beyond that, well, this is going to help us win. And you could see that sort of disconnect um, as the way you know military leadership works now. The guys on the ground, the grunts in the trenches, are the ones who die, um, are the mm-hmm. ones who give their lives up for a mission that they might not even have full information on. Um, you know, Someone right. above them has, has a piece of it. Someone above that person has a bigger piece and so on and so forth, until you get to the generals who will never pick up you know, aren't going to pick up rifles and go fight people. So this to me is a whole parable about just like the, the meaninglessness of war. Nothing gets accomplished. Yeah. No one knows what's going on. And the people in charge are so far away from it. They don't even understand it anymore.
1: Yeah. Do you think that because the authors like didn't really include the reason for the war, that the fact that they didn't include the reason for it may reinforce the idea that war is
0: meaningless? I think that's one of the, I, I do think so. I really think that 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 was purposeful, that like you can, you know, I I guess like a a weird person would map on like, oh, man, war is great. This is awesome. (laughs) People are killing each other. But I, I think most normal people would kind of map onto this that like these two, you know, red and blue are falling in love in the midst in the midst of absolute chaos. That clearly doesn't mean anything. I mean, like their their missions to thwart each other are like like, you know, the end result is that like nothing happens you know, like nothing happens. Right.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. Jesus Christ. Like even a lot of these things, like they're failures. Nothing happens. Like, yeah. Even there's a certain couple of, there's a couple of times where as a result of their mission, like maybe something happens, but there are missions in here that just go failure that go unresolved, that in the grand scheme of things are meaningless. Mm -hmm.
0: So, I mean, you know, I, I, that's the way I took it, but obviously someone could take it differently. Um, I also I also felt um, this is about belonging that, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. uh, it, with Blue's with Blue's dying letter, she you know, talks about like how she's she's grateful that Red is the one to have killed her. When you when you take out all the timey wimey paradox stuff, this is about two people who really feel like they have no belonging to the people, you know, to the group that they're assigned to. And they reach out for each other to find someone who they feel is an equal, a contemporary to them, someone who is of the same mind, the same, you know, probably starts off at the same skill level. But then as it as it as um, as the relationship advances, it's people looking for someone who are just are clearly have the same personality, the same desires, the same that kind of stuff. They're trying to find belonging Mm -hmm. um, in each other. Yeah,
1: they totally are. Like, they clearly don't feel like they belong in this war and stuff like that. They they don't even feel like they belong on some of these missions, considering Atlantis is so boring. But they belong together. Mm-hmm. And, what, and the common ground that they, that they find and that they develop amongst each other just reinforces this theme of belonging, feeling like you want to belong somewhere.
0: Yep, yep. And then I'll, I'll wrap up here with love, as love is like this you know, this force that transcends barriers. Um, you can read a lot into, so blue and blue and red go by she and her, but um, mm-hmm. they take different forms. They've taken the forms of animals. They've taken the forms of men, of women. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And I don't think that there's, even though they, even though they, they call each other, you know, she and her, um, I don't think that that particular gender assignment matters at all. So, you know, love transcends race, gender, it transcends their political affiliation. It even transcends their personas. Like they're very different when this starts off. Um, uh, you know, red's much more focused on the job and um, much more analytical. Obviously, blues uh you know more poetic and literary. Um so you know, transcends persona, and obviously it transcends time and space. Um mm-hmm. like that's just how powerful it is. It, it's it's so powerful that it could even transcend and possibly change a war. Um so you know, that's you know, that's, that's one part of it, but also that like love isn't love, isn't exactly what we like expect it to be. It, it, this is like, goes beyond the physical red and blue, barely Mm -hmm. see each other. Um, only, only, you know, obviously we have the two examples of them crossing paths. Um, when blue was a baby and when red was a child, they crossed paths. They just didn't realize it at the time. And there's some other, you know, they make mention in their letters that maybe they saw each other here, potentially, you know, they in this particular strand, was that you doing this? Were you there? Blah, blah, blah. Um, despite the fact that they basically are never face-to-face, they fall in love, you know, kind of signaling that, like, love is something more than, like, a physical bond. It's, it's again, something that can transcend a whole lot of different barriers.
1: Right. Oh, God, yes, definitely. And, like, this is... This statement about love and everything like that—it's um—it's that it's, um, it's, uh, they didn't just think of that. You know what I'm saying? Like Jim uses yeah. it in his speech to Michael in the office for crying out, mm-hmm. out loud. But um, the fact that they are able to tell this story the way that they have, and um, just it, you're right—it reinforces that that concept that love is emotion. And then the story also, you know, it does give people a, um, it gives people a situation where love is not like what everybody, like your common, like associations with the word love and stuff. And it says that love is more than a physical thing. And it also just kind of shows you that like, you can almost really find, like, love in just about any situation. Like, Mm -hmm. somehow in in this war, these two people were were able to come together and find something special. Right. And the fact that you're able to do that in these crazy dire times is just a a testament to exactly how strong that emotion is.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Even even time-traveling assassins can find love. Um, Even, I don't know, I guess even the... Even the even the proud boys can find love across uh, enemy lines. Maybe with someone from Black Lives Matter. I don't know. They're just saying it's possible. That's all. It could be possible.
1: We're just asking questions here. That's,
0: that's, that's right. So, speaking of factions, um, what do you think each faction? Quickly here, we wanna, we don't have to get too deep into this, you know, because I'm I'm going to save a lot of this for the for the next episode. But what do you think each faction, in in kind of broad strokes, represents? So we have agency and we have garden. Okay. So the
1: agency is definitely technocratic society and garden seems to be more of like a nature centric order of people, I guess, order of consciousness. Um, it's, it's weird because like I use the raised by wolves example, you know, i just, obviously cause it's a show that we both like, we did R- an episode R. I. P. about it. RIP. R- I know oh, okay. that believe me, I was, I was upset when I saw that message from you. <laughs> like I, I kind of was, mm-hmm. um, but the, um, so when you see raised, raised by wolves, like the way that they like refer to these people, like they're the atheists, the technocrats, the, the, the whatever they do that the other side would call themselves, you know, they're atheists is pretty much like the the general term that they use for the atheist side of the war. you, it's, it's just implied as to like what they're going at, you know, like I feel that that situation is one that like we're so familiar with that it's very identifiable to know what this conflict is about. Mm -hmm. But the idea of the agency versus the garden, I think it's as clear. There's definitely something about, like, technology versus nature and stuff, but I don't feel that, like, the motivations are as clear. Um, There's some type of implication, but I don't know if the implication – is strong enough to just for me to say like it's technology versus like living in without technology, like you living off the grid style amongst nature and everything. I, cause I feel that there's something a little bit more to the, the nature and garden side of the equation than just, Hey, we're going to live like hippies.
0: Oh yeah. Um, I, I'll fill that in for you. Cause this is, this is how I thought of it. Um, agency is the unstoppable progress of humanity. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, this is, you know, I'll get very specific here. Uh, so agency, agency is the unstoppable progress of humanity. Garden is the way the world responds to that progress. And I say that because agency seems to exist. Um, again, this is one of those, this is one of those things you just have to kind of take it. You just have to take it as it is because they don't give you much more explanation, but it seems like agency exists mostly in mostly down threat in the future that Mm -hmm. that's where they're if if they had a base of operations it's in the future um yeah you know it's like you said it's a technocratic society um the people aren't even recognizable as human if they even are human um at this point in time It, it so they they seem to exist down thread and their objectives seem more about um hacking and slashing um versus what garden does so garden is the way the world like i said garden is the way the world responds to humanity garden seems to operate entirely almost entirely from upthread um they sort of you know we we get all these obviously we get all these like gardening and planting metaphors um throughout but it's clear like but it's clear from like the, the first sort of intricate letter that blue sends in the wood that what they're willing to do is sort of they're the ones that are more willing to sort of set the butterfly affected motion. One plant, mm-hmm. one seed here in the past, and let it grow into something to try to prevent um, catastrophe in the future. So, right. to, to me, this is I don't want to say this is like a climate change parable or analogy or anything like that, but I think you could take it kind of in the way that, like, well, hum- humanity is treating the world like shit, garden is doing something about it.
1: Yeah, that seems more of an on-point climate analogy than uh, Look Up does, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, like, yeah, I think, like, yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Um, the, the idea of, like, a, a progress versus the, the reaction to and what... the Planting these seeds to kind of grow into the future and stuff like that versus the hacking and slashing, more futuristic style of of the agency i i'm definitely buying that um for sure and the um like i guess i just like i just really want more like this is the one part of the story that like i really really fucking want some more and i've said it before i will probably say it two more times before the episode closes out but the it's like i just I just really wish that I knew more about like the war in general. And this happens every fucking time that these science fiction or anything introduces like a big concept that is only like sort of kind of touched on throughout yeah. the movie, like Blade Runner 2049. It starts off with the idea of this blackout and how um, the uh, Jared Leto's company came in and kind of like saved the day and stuff. Well, yeah, this blackout's a really big significant event like i'd kind of like to know more about it Mm -hmm. it's the same same way with terminator like you start off and it's like okay human beings are at war with the machines and it's like oh tell me everything in a detailed timeline like i want to know the years the battles everything you know so that that's just like that's just like my own like personality personality in particular there, there might be some people who don't give any shit whatsoever and think that there was probably too much of the agency in the garden but for me like i just this is one thing i could not ask enough questions about
0: this it, I'll, I'll everyone i will give you a sneak preview for the next episode uh chem and i are going to do some adaptations of this or you know as if we were like at a pitch meeting um you know making this into a movie or tv show and i have a feeling that we're both going to be expanding the role agency and garden play in both of our adaptations that's the tease <laughs>
1: Got a little bit of a feeling that might happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: you could, and you could just real quickly. You could also take this book, the inverse of this book, and and I don't mean like in a bad way. Just like the inverse of the way this book kind of skips over some of these details, the expanse spends paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs explaining how certain things work, how <laughs> you know, and, and like like and that being the like how things work is really fundamental to how the story unfolds.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 100%. The science in The Expanse is like very essential to it. Whereas whereas this, like, you you could take some liberties and stuff.
0: Yeah. So speaking of sort of, um, you know, getting into sort of um, more representative kind of stuff, how do you think the title uh, and the cover art relate to the story?
1: Okay. I'll start off with the, the cover art first. Like, you know, looking at it, you have these two birds, a red and a blue bird. They're both facing opposite directions. And my cover of the book, the birds look like they the images are kind of adjusted to where it's not a flush image. Like the, mm-hmm. the red bird's back is like 0.2 centimeters lower than its shoulders yeah. and stuff. So I feel that these, and they look like lines and everything like that. So I feel that these kind of manipulations to the designs of the birds are maybe representative of the strands of time um, just as a way to maybe give a visual metaphor of the representation of the strands, strands of time, it's just <clears throat> how I took it and stuff. So like I, you know, you're looking at two up, two people facing opposite direction. There are these strands of time that illustrate that that this is going to be a Time Travel book, you know, once you read it you may you'll understand the cover and then when it comes to the title, so the last line is like this is how we win where blue basically tells war like red how we are going to win the war. Mm-hmm. And I almost think the title is like saying like this is how you lose the time war is by having these agents fall in love, by creating the situation that brings these two agents together. I'm, I, I know that's, that's not anywhere near like as good as it probably could be, but I feel that there's something in the title that's like almost like telling us like this is how we lose. Because in the end, the characters find out that's how they win.
0: Yeah, I got you. I'm gonna I'm gonna start there because um, I'm glad you brought up the last line. That um, it's it, it, so I, I take the title as a double entendre. Um, okay. it's not how any side loses the time war; it's how okay. red and blue lose, escape the time war. Oh, um, okay. It's how they. It's how they. The same way you lose a you you lose someone in a chase. This is how they lose the time war, how they leave it behind them. And okay. the final line, this is how we win. That's blue saying to red, this is how you and I win. This is how we are going to do it. There is no more blue and red versus each other. It is blue and red versus the time war and their agencies.
1: I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. I understand that the whole double entendre with, with lose and everything. I'm totally getting that. And that actually makes, a lot more sense than anything I just said. And it also makes um, more sense in terms of the way that the, the way that the story ends and like how them wanting to like put this behind them and have their lives together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, We don't know what that looks like, obviously it just That's where it ends. Um, But that's to me, that's to me, that is the implication that like, it's, this is no longer me versus you, or we're not even trying to hide it anymore. This is how we win. This is this. Mm-hmm. We basically stop participating in this is how we win.
1: Yeah. And I could see Adam Sandler in the uncut gems, the meme right now. Like, this is how we win.
0: That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, and, you know, in the, in the art, I, I liked your interpretation because I I had a tough time with this, too. I, 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 I guess, you know, good description of it, like the sort of like the disjointed, the two pictures of the disjointed red and blue bird. Uh, the Cardinal and I don't think it's a blue J. It doesn't look like it's no, it, it's not like I, 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 in
1: one of the interviews, they mentioned it, but I'm just like, there's no way in hell that that's a blue car. I think they say blue Cardinal, but that's definitely not a blue Cardinal. No, it'd okay, be a, it'd be the red one, but blue.
0: Right. Um, doesn't really matter. But so I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know if the exact, I'm sure the birds themselves have some meaning to it that we're just, we're totally missing. But um, the way that they're sort of disjointed, like there's like missing pieces and um, Jesus, Um, the way that they're disjointed, they're sort of missing pieces. And I I kind of took that as sort of like the way that they are, they are sort of themselves because they can travel between time and space. They're never fully connected to reality. They're always just sort of pieces.
1: Yeah. That's not bad either. That's not bad. Like, I can under, I can understand that for fucking sure, dude. That doesn't yeah. sound like anything like out of left field to me.
0: No, no, i but I don't know. i that's just that's just one way I could take it, I suppose. Um again, like i I didn't watch any interviews or stuff like that. I probably should I probably should. I'm sure there's one where like they flat out tell you exactly what it means. Um, <laughs> as, I, I always it's one of those things with like any piece of literature, be it a poem or just a you know a book or whatever when people are are just like well you know you know it could mean this it could mean that i'm like yeah you're, sure it could mean this it could mean that but like um i think it's like i'm pretty sure it's hemingway yeah the old man the, the old man of the seas it's like it's about an old man in the fucking sea like you can map whatever you want onto it but that's what it's about
1: right yeah you bet and that's a really good example as far as hemingway and some people at times maybe taking the metaphors a little bit too far because there, there's some out there which like like hills like white elephants and some the, i have a short story collection of his where there's a lot of room for metaphor and interpretation and stuff and iceberg theory and all that mm-hmm. but um when it comes down to like that old man in the sea like yeah that's what that's what it's about yeah. <laughs> like, definitely <laughs> i mean
0: which is i guess that's any good piece of entertainment at all right you can you can map your own ideas onto it and take it how you want to. Like that's a, a sure sign that someone wrote, directed, whatever acted in something that was great.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. The, the fact that there's a lot of metaphor to draw from and that people, people may see it as one thing and another person might see it as something completely different. It's mm-hmm. just really the, the beautiful, the beauty of a good piece of art. Sorry, I got the hiccups I'm trying to suppress right no now. Problem. No <laughs> problem. No, um it's, it's all good
0: yeah so, so just to wrap this up I, I guess this kind of question answers itself was this an intriguing read did it leave you wanting to know more about the world and the characters etc etc
1: oh yeah uh, yeah this could easily this could easily have been like 400 pages i would not have complained about it at all and stuff i, I mm-hmm. would have made adjust like when you gave me the 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 title originally and stuff like a couple weeks ago and everything and i saw how long the book was i was like okay like this is something that i could knock out in in next to no time as i did Mm -hmm. but if this was like a 400 page book which it could easily be i would have like set aside and maybe started reading it like a few weeks ago and stuff like that just to um, just to make sure I had everything because this could easily, there, there's so much that there could be other chapters, there could be more fucking characters. I mean, there could be so much more to this greatly created world. And I, I almost wonder like if there was a three hundred Page version at one point in time that was maybe like a first draft, like mm-hmm. what they cut out of it.
0: Oh, I'm I'm willing to bet there's more. Um I don't know, about hundred pages more, but I am willing to bet there was quite a bit more that was with this um originally. And I would I would not be surprised if it was mostly description. If that was like there, if that was the call to like pull a mm-hmm. little pull some of the description and just focus on the letters wouldn't surprise me. But like I'm I'm with you. I I really love this book. Um it it I'll tell you what; it really sort of jump-started my interest for fiction again. That like I I have I have some books that I've purchased in the last couple years that like twenty pages got read, and for whatever reason, I dropped off, just busy doing Mm -hmm. other shit. It really it has kind of reignited my my love for fiction books, and I really have to get more into it. I'll tell you what; I would read, I would read another, I would read another similar book, whether or not it's epistolary, you know, whether or not it's letters but I would read another similar book set in this very particular um, setting that El-Motar and Gladstone created. I think I, uh, you know what I mean? I, I would like, to, I could stand to see another story in this time war.
1: Oh yeah, dude, easily. Like they could altered carbon the shit out of this and have different mm-hmm. people and different stuff. I think that'd be great. Like you have, they've already created such a great premise here. Like there's so, other agents the, the the commandant could be a character all on her own and stuff like that, and maybe there's something that the commandant has to do. Like, you have so many different opportunities. I mean, this could be this could be taken out, taken into many, many more books, and uh, almost like a whole franchise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think there's if they ever if they wanted to, there's plenty more with this particular um, this particular book as like a stepping stone in a series. And I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, you know how. Sci fi and fantasy writers are they fucking start with one book and then there's 38 in their series, like and right, you know, like if, like you, we already mentioned, um, you know, uh, Brandon Sanderson, um, how many doesn't he, isn't he like one of those weirdos that writes like fucking four books a year?
1: I, I think so. I, I'm pretty positive on that. A lot of some of these fantasy guys who are not named George R. R. Martin actually work, and when they work, <laughs> they, um, they write books. And then like these books come out and then people read them and they're like, Hey, we want more books. And then these people who these authors are just like, okay, yeah, I will uh, write more of these books and I'll actually do it. And I'm going to get up at nine and start doing it. Like it's these, some of these dudes are like outright machines. Like there's this guy, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick Rothfuss, who does this King killer Chronicle Mm -hmm. series. There's a lot of these books. He's been grinding them out. There are a lot of pages he must enjoy his job, George R. R. Martin. Are we noticing anything going on? Do you feel like somebody is sending you a message?
0: <laughs> and it's really not that hard to read. It's not written, written in tree bark or a, a fucking bee sting, George. It's it's yeah. right out there for you to fucking read. Please continue writing the series that somehow ended before your like final two books. came. Whatever. Uh, I just yeah. <laughs> like, Brandon, like Brandon Sanderson jumps to mind because I I feel like he I feel like I read he had a Kickstarter. Um, and he's gonna drop in the next like eighteen months. He's gonna drop like seven books or something. I mean, that's, wow. Fu- I mean, that's fucking like you, you know he's pu- like he the Kickstarter to help like self publish and, and print these or whatever, and like mm-hmm. th- like seven books. Are you fucking kidding me? That's insane, dude. That's like bad. that's like that's crushing Stephen King numbers. And
1: he must release like three books a year. Like I mean, it's it is just fucking lunacy. And uh, I, if if anything. Hopefully, it's a standalone series. You know, that he's not just dropping seven. I'm guessing it is. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm guessing it is. Okay, because, like, something like that, maybe I might check out one of them. But if he's just dropping seven additional Wheel of Time books or whatever he's dropping, like then I'm just, then, like, no. Like, I'm not even going to get the time of day and stuff like that. But if it, it turns out to be a whole other series. It might actually be cool, and maybe the books aren't all 700 pages a pop. <laughs> so right. Actually, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually, I'm actually,
0: I can tell you, I, I they, they are, they're not Wheel of Time stuff. They are something different, but.
1: Oh, thank God. Nonetheless,
0: he still had to sit down and write seven books, and I'm going to go ahead and guess they're not 200-page novellas.
1: <laughs> they're actual, like, novels 500 pages plus single spaced all that stuff yeah like that's how all those fantasy stuff I mean I I can't even name a fantasy book that is less than 200 pages I mean it's almost like how the grindcore bands take pride in naming their bands the worst possible thing the fantasy writers all take pride in writing the longest possible book (laughs) they
0: gotta gotta describe someone's cloak for three pages it's like (laughs) it's like I get it dude it's fucking gold and shit Gotcha. Right. He's got some buttons on it. And gotcha. They're yellow. Good. <laughs> all right. Uh, any any final thoughts here
1: before we wrap up? I got to say, man, I haven't talked about a book through and through, probably since high school. Mm-hmm. I am very like, I'm surprised this episode went as well as it did. I, for some reason, I just kind of imagined myself being a little more all over the place than normal, just because I, I haven't. I had the ability to talk about a book, but mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this this conversation and stuff. Like I'm going to, like I said, I, re, I got a copy of The Running Man. I'm Going to probably start reading that after I read my last thirty three and a third book. And uh, yeah, like I, I kind of had this like reignited interest in fiction writing.
0: I I agree with you. I'm with you on that. You're right. I, the last time I talked about a book literally was in high school. Like one. Well, I'll yeah. take it back. Did it in college too for um, for a couple of books, but. Um, in some of the, some of the English classes I had, but, um, yeah, like it's, it's just, it's been a long time. It's a lot of fun to talk about a book like this and you know what, Chema, thank, thank that Google search for book club, book club questions, because I really legitimately was like, where the fuck do I start writing this? Yeah.
1: I don't like, yeah. Any help that could have been getting, take it dude, because I, I don't know where, how to start on this. I mean, this, the book that I had gives. 14 different questions, which I guess are starter questions, but they're, they're kind of all over the place. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? There's no real, like, structure or organization of the conversation. It's just like, oh, red and blue do this. What do you think? Hey, yeah, there's a lot about Atlantis. What do you think about Atlantis? Like, it's all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think the last, the oh, last
1: question is actually, like, do you want to buy this Avon soap is the last question of the thing. So... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, do you want to join my MLM? Um, yeah. So that, that does it for this episode. I'm, I'm really glad we got to talk about like the bigger stuff. Um, in our next episode, uh, when, you know, whenever we get around to recording it, it'll be this month. Um, we are going to dive more into the characters. So we're going to get into the, the nitty gritty of red and blue. Um, we'll take them apart, their motivations and stuff. So we'll definitely get into that much more. So there's going to be, um, as much story stuff as we covered here, there's going to be more specifics that we're going to cover in the next episode and then we're also like i said before we're gonna because we are a want to do this every time we have some kind of new property we of course have to make our own adaptations for it so we're also going to give you a tv and movie adaptation that chem and i are would be uh you know individually helming if you will so there's a lot to look forward to next episode um Chem, you want to lead us out of here
1: I definitely will, dude. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the first Occasionalist Book Club episode. It was a great one. You could find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Podbean. Just give us a review. Talk a bunch of shit to us. We could take it. We are adults. This is Adam Chmielewski and Matthew Pagel signing off and wishing you the best. Thank you.